Event codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 329 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Recorded at Creation Entertainment's Star Trek Las Vegas convention. I'm Elijah. And I'm Kenna. All right, Kenna, we've got a big show with tons of content. Why don't you give us a recap of what we've got? Well, that's right. It's a bumper episode this week with all of the best content from the con. Now, I've got the details from the massive four-hour-long discovery panels. And we've also got an interview with Ego Moss's Ben Robinson, which turned a little weird when Iris Stephen Bear turned up. Uh, now, moving on to Star Trek Online, we've got Cryptic's main stage panel, which announced season 14. And we've got follow-up interviews with Al, Captain Gecko Rivera, and Jeremy Bordicus Randall. And they go into a little more detail on all of that upcoming content. Later, it's a very special astrometrics report with our science advisor, Dr. Hurt, and guest Phil Plate, a.k.a. the Bad Astronomer. And finally, we're doing listener feedback live from the floor of STLV. Captains, you know that we'd love to keep the conversation going between our episodes, so please reach out to us. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. We're on Twitter at Priority One Pod. Or you can even send us an email via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Now, I want to take a minute to send a gigantic thank you to all of our Patreon supporters because with your guys' support is how we got here and it's how we're able to deliver you the awesome content that we've got for you in this week's episode. And actually, we've got enough for for at least one more episode of Priority One. So it's a huge thank you to everyone who contributes month to month. Now, I just want to mention, Captains, that at the $10 level, You get access to some behind-the-scenes content, including the unedited episodes of Priority One Podcast. Also, our $10 patrons already listened to the Star Trek online panel that I moderated on Thursday, in addition to the interviews with Jeremy and Al Rivera. And it's not just Patreon supporters that got us here. We're also giving a big thank you to Eagle Moss, who sponsored our table at Star Trek Las Vegas. And, you know... Our patrons cover most of our expenses. They got us here and they keep our show going from week to week. But it was Eagle Moss who helped us, you know, get over that last little hurdle, having a table here. And um, we we owe a lot to them. So please, if you get a chance, go to EagleMoss.com. You can go have a look at all the different collections that they offer and uh, show them a little support like they have showed us some support. And don't forget that in Trek It Out later on, we'll be talking to them about the ships of the line. Mm-hmm. I also just wanted to take a second before we move on from intro to, to, to say how great it was to actually be a part of, a, of the Roddenberry Podcast Network this year. So we've had tables at STLV for a few years and you know we've done our thing on our own. This year, we have been sort of part of the whole Roddenberry ecosystem. We shared a table with Women at Warp and we were just across the aisle from Mission Log and the big Roddenberry booth. And uh, it's it was an amazing experience to be able to share uh, the space with 
all of those other people, and especially women at Warp who helped us with our equipment. They helped us uh, here at the table. And it was really great to be able to sort of uh, share some of that content. So Jarrah came on to an interview with us and uh, you were able to help Grace with the panel that she was on. We're hoping to bring all of our listeners and all of their listeners more and more content like that in the future where we can expand our reach and expand what we cover. So just keep your ears out for that and we'll give you guys all more details in the future. All right, captains. Without further ado, we present to you our coverage of Star Trek Las Vegas 2017. Buckle down because this one's going to be a long one, and it's time to trek out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. Jim, what places? I don't know. Then let's trek it out. Well, Captains, Star Trek Las Vegas had so much content regarding Star Trek Discovery that it was a four-hour-long session. Four hours. Of panels after panels after panels uh-huh. that Kenna sat through. I did. So, Kenna, why don't you um, give us a briefing of what happened, a debriefing. Uh, okay, so first of all, there was uh, three different panels. So it started off with uh, the writers, uh, and then they moved into some of the actors, uh, sorry, there's four different panels. Uh, and then they looked at the artists and the, the makeup and some of the props behind the scenes. Uh, and then finally, finally they looked at uh, the, the publishing side of it, so the expanded universe and what we can expect to see in terms of comics and things. So there was so, so much information. And I just want to take you through some of the highlights that I thought that, that I picked out, especially things that um, we've talked about on the show before. Um, and they, they addressed some of those things as well. So first up was the writers panel, and it was uh, Kirsten Beyer and uh, Ted Sullivan. Uh, Ted Sullivan, you may recognize from social media. He's the one that keeps walking around with the little tiny Gorn. Yes. Jason Gorn. Jason Gorn. Yes. Uh, they talked a little bit about what's going on in, in the writer's room and what it's like. And um, one of the first things they talked about was the trailer. Now, you know, it's so easy to, like, you think that the trailer is just going to be the big smashy biggest shots you can possibly find. Uh, Ted Sullivan actually said that the trailer is footage from the first three episodes. So what you've seen in the trailer, the quality of the shots, the action, that kind of tension, that is actually from production stuff. It's not, you know, they're they're cutting it, obviously. It's going to be mashed around. But all of that footage in the trailer is from the first three episodes of the series, which is kind of exciting and, and fun. Awesome. Awesome. Yep. Okay. Was there anything about the story or, or about the creativeness that um, they, the creativity behind it, like where they're drawing inspirations from? Or, well, one thing that they did talk about was this idea of canon, and whether sometimes canon can restrict how you tell a story. And there's a really good story that um, Ted Sullivan told, and I can't remember exactly which um, which TV show it came from, but it was an established. It was an established franchise that had, there was a ring, and it was an unbreakable ring. And they got to a point in telling of that story that they had to break the ring. And it was a, that was an established canon thing, that it was unbreakable, and they needed to break it to tell the story. And the, the quote that came out of that was, sometimes you need to know when to break the ring. And so they talked a lot about the canon and, and how they do, are doing their best to stay faithful to established canon, but as a writer, as a creative person, there may be a point in time when they need to break that ring for Star Trek. So there, 
I don't mean to come across negative, like like they're intending to break any canon in there. I don't think they are. What I what I got out of it was that the writers are very conscientious about the existing. Yes, they're very conscientious about existing canon and doing their best to stick to it. However, you know, if they need to tell a story, then they're not afraid to do that for the sake of a good production. So did, that was good. Did they leak any information about the story? No, there wasn't anything particularly new about the story that we haven't already been told or that we haven't already been seen. They, 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 they talked in riddles. Um, but, you know, that's, that's to be expected, I think. They did talk a lot about the logic behind how the stories are written. They talked a lot about having a, an intense love and respect for science. Uh, and how that's going to play a really big part in the show. And they also talked a little bit about this idea that uh, in in previous iterations of Star Trek, it was very episodic. And, of course, we're going to go into something that's more serialized. And that the characters in Discovery will be carrying their losses with them. That was, mm-hmm. a, that was a phrase that they use. They carry mm-hmm. their losses with them. Um, and, and that's going to make a real change from, from part of how we've seen, especially in things like you know, TNG, where you know, they forgot about <laughs> these horrible things that happened to them two seasons ago. Right. Uh, that's very much not going to be the case with Discovery. They also talked about the Klingon War um, and their approach to the storytelling and what we can expect in terms of the villains. And basically that there isn't a villain. And in right. fact, the, the telling of the Klingon side of the story is going to be, for want of a, of a better word, he, very human. Um, there's a love story involved in there. Oh. Uh, you're getting a lot more of their culture by virtue of the fact that they're speaking in Klingon. Right. Um, and there were some really awesome demonstrations, oh, by really? the way. It wow. was kind of cool. Oh, they cool. went into a little bit about the dialect coach that they're, that they're working with and the language coach that they're working with. I'm so impressed. I mean, they're, they're at the point where they're almost fluent in Klingon wow. because they... Have to, have to be, be immersed. Much. Yeah, so immersion. Immersion. Im- immersion, yes. Um, so sorry, I got a little bit off track there. The writers, they wanted to emphasize the fact that in this Klingon war, there isn't a villain. And they're looking at both sides. We as the viewers are, are not going to see it as good versus evil. We are right, going to right, see it right, as, right. as two different factions fighting one another right. for different causes. And I think that's going to be, there's going to be a lot of really interesting storytelling in, in there, I right. think, with that. Okay, so that was, that was the writers. So next up we had the actors, that, uh, well, some of the actors that are going to be part of the new show. Um, we had Wilson Cruz, who is playing uh, the love interest for Lieutenant Stamets. We had Mary Chifo, who plays Laurel, one of the one of the Klingon women. We had uh, Kenneth Mitchell, and then we also had Sam Vartholomeos. Um, and uh, uh, Kenneth Mitchell plays another one of the Klingons whose name I can't remember. And um, Sam Vartholomeos plays one of one plays the helmsman. Okay, you know some of the actors oftentimes kind of go into Star Trek without really knowing. Mm-hmm how big the franchise is, right? Like, yeah. I think some of the Beyond cast doesn't... I think Carl Urban knows. Yeah. Because Carl Urban is a fan himself. But yeah. sometimes they 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 really don't get it. Mm-hmm. What, what was the sense that you got from these actors? I think, for sure, every single one of them is incredibly excited to be part of Star Trek. That There was an... A, a tremendous amount of enthusiasm and excitement up on the stage. I know after the panels... 
a lot of them were down and taking pictures with people and just meeting people. This was the first time that they'd been to a Star Trek convention or possibly anything like this. I'm not sure, but they were so excited to be there. And the enthusiasm was like through the roof, which was fantastic. I'm not sure that most of them had were huge Star Trek fans, with the exception of Wilson Cruz, who honestly I fell in love with him. He was wonderful. He was first of all he he explained the fact that when he was a kid he wanted to be on Star Trek. Wow! Yeah! Wow! Wow! That's um, cool. So he told a really funny story. So he's he plays a, a, the doctor on the ship or a doctor on the right. ship, and he went in on his first day on set, and you know these amazing props and everything. Uh, went to use a hyperspray and did it completely the wrong direction, uh, and of course the people on the sets were like, "That's that's not how you do it," and and he felt so silly because. When he was growing up and always wanted to be on Star Trek, he always figured he'd be one of the guys like with the phaser, like shooting people. You know, not not the guy in the medical bay. Um, so it's funny. A, <laughs> I guess it didn't turn out exactly as he expected, but you know, it, he was so. I mean, I can't explain to you for for a first appearance at a convention. Wilson Cruz, he just was interactive with the audience. He got a load of laughs, and he's clearly so bought into the whole experience. I have, I am, I'm excited for him to be part of of that cast. And speaking of Wilson Cruz, they actually do go into a little bit of detail about the relationship between his character and um, uh, Anthony Rapp's character, Lieutenant uh, Stamets. And it was interesting to me, he talked about, this is a gay relationship that is, ju- that is a relationship. And you're going to see aspects of their relationship that is the aspects of any other realistic relationship, but it's not a plot point. Uh, right. Do you see what I mean? It's just uh, a relationship. It's just their relationship. That's and and that's, that's kind of an important thing in terms of representation. And so I was really pleased to, to hear that from him. So I said before, on the panel were Mary Chifo and Kenneth Mitchell. Both of them play Klingons. And so they talked a little bit about what it was like playing Klingons and the, the costumes. And they emphasized that the images that we've seen of Klingons so far have been of one house. Uh, they've been to Kuvma's house. He's the head of the house. Um, Kenneth Mitchell actually plays a different character called Cole, and he's in the house of Kor. And they showed a picture of him, and it's very different from what we had seen. Uh, uh, it's Chris Obi, isn't it, that, that plays uh, to Kuvma. So it's a, it's a very different thing. And they went into some detail about how the houses are all very different. They're different cultures within um, the Klingon race. And in fact, they revealed that Mary Chifo is, is, is a Klingon who is of two houses. So she is part one house and part another house and similar to a, to a mixed race person. And there's going to be some interesting storytelling that they can do around that and the conflicts that come up. And it's also a little bit of a love story um, between her and, and another character. And so we're going to see some very cultural things that maybe we haven't seen from Klingons before where you know we've seen a little bit at arm's length of how the Klingon culture is set up uh, this is going to be a much more in-depth uh, personal look when you say that they look different mm-hmm. are you talking about their garb or even like the forehead ridges their garb and their facial features okay yeah so, uh, different colored skin tones and it's it's uh, it's very much not the monolithic alien culture that we've seen in Star Trek before. So we very well could perhaps see the traditional Klingon ridges that we might have seen in TNG from another house. Oh, I would love that. I've I would said love it before. that. Yeah, and, and 
Boy, that would put that would just put a nice little pin in it, wouldn't it? <laughs> the whole thing. It'd be kind of cool. So yeah. And there was one other little uh, anecdote that was really cute uh, from Mary Chifo, and they were talking about how difficult it was to get into this makeup three and a half hours in the chair. I mean, it's nowhere near what Doug Jones has to go through to get into his Kelpie makeup, but. They were saying that the, their contact lenses are actually kind of uncomfortable, with the exception of Mary Chifo, who actually wears contacts normally. They had hers made with her prescription, so she's the only one who's like dying to get into her contacts in the morning because otherwise she can't see. I thought that was really <laughs> That's cute. Funny. That's funny. <laughs> right, so next up was uh, two artists, Glenn Hetrick and Neville Page. They were talking about uh, primarily you know, the, the props and a little bit of makeup, just the general overall design things. And um, this is kind of backed up, and we'll talk about it in a little bit with uh, the props that we saw in the Discovery exhibit. But I would say that the biggest thing that I took out of this panel, with the two of them, is how in-depth they are thinking about all of the details that build all of the props and the looks, especially the Klingons. We looked in great, we looked in great depth into what makes the Klingons. And there's a reason for everything. There's a reason for every piece of armor. There's a reason for every facial feature and everything and they've 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 thought about this and this is this is the panel where I kind of stepped back and went you know what I was kind of hard on them on this show for a while because I thought god they're spending all this time doing it that's just how these guys think now I won't go into too much detail about um, about what they said because it's hard to it's hard to get it across on audio but I will say there's two little things number one there's a reason that they're bald the Klingons are bald. And actually, they, they, they modeled the skulls of Klingons. They modeled the skulls and then put their heads on. Uh, and the ridges on these Klingons, they, the ridges have little holes in them. They're sensors. So it totally makes sense why they have no hair. That would actually make them less. They refer to them as the apex predator oh. of a species. Interesting. That's, pretty, that's, that's a fascinating take on it. So maybe they will get into an explanation as to why TNG Klingons look different if they're going into this much detail. Mm -hmm. uh, and they, they talked about as well the, the armor and they're all, the armor is super complicated, uh, but there's reasons for it. So if you can look at some of the pictures, they've got this, these armored thigh plates with uh, these big giant scales that go down. It's not just armor, they're for propulsion as well. And these suits are used for literally flying through space. So they're, they're, it's all built into the armor. That's why it looks the way it does. And there's one little detail that I absolutely loved. And it's on... And we'll post a picture of this on our social media channels. On some of the armor, as it as it goes down this, the the arms, has got a, a picture of a man, or well, it's a Klingon man, and it looks like he's diving upside down with his arms outstretched. And they told a story that this, in in his mind, is the, the image of a warrior succumbing to battle, and it's very it's very um, significant that that imagery and that that image in the designer's head is what kind of gave way to the Klingon trefoil look and so it's a really cute little thing and when you when you have a look at the actual pictures of the armor you'll know what I mean it's very very cool um, one other thing that they did say good luck with the cosplay yeah <laughs> yes yeah absolutely yeah so the final panel that, that I sat through was uh, the publishing side of things. And this is perhaps where I think we got the most information. Uh, they're talking about the expanded universe. I think we've, ex we've explained before that uh, Kirsten Beyer is, is a liaison between the writer's room 
and the extended universe, the people who do uh, comics and novels. So on this panel, we had uh, a number of people, including Sarah Gatos, who works for IDW Publishing with the comics, David Mack, who's an author, and of course, Kirsten Beyer, and there was a couple of other people as well. I'll just go through sort of what we're expecting to come out. So later this year, there's going to be a novel published. It comes out two days after the premiere of Discovery, and they were very cagey. No pun intended. Um, they were very cagey <laughs> about the plot of that book, but it's 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 fun to speculate about, actually. So they actually read the back of the book. Aboard the starship Chenzu, Lieutenant Michael Burnham, a human woman raised and educated among Vulcans, is promoted to acting first officer. But, but. if she wants to keep her job, she must prove to Captain Philippa Georgiou that she deserves to have it. She gets her chance when the Shenzhou must protect a Federation colony that is under attack by an alien, excuse me, by an ancient alien vessel that has surfaced from the deepest fathoms of the planet's dark, uncharted sea. As the menace from this mysterious vessel grows stronger, Starfleet declares the colony expendable in the name of halting the threat. To save thousands of lives, thousands of innocent lives, Burnham must infiltrate the alien ship. But to do so, she needs to face the truth of her troubled past and seek the aid of a man she has tried to avoid her entire life. Until now. Now the commentary on this is that the fact that Burnham is Spock's surrogate sister, that's important. They're going to come into contact with another Federation starship that we know. And that this happens a year before the events of Star Trek Discovery. Um, mm. Can you speculate? Maybe. <laughs> well, interesting. Because you see, Spock is already serving on the Enterprise under, under Captain Pike. He is, yeah. So at right. the time, he's already there. So I, I, do, I do think that's what it's going to be. I mean, it's too, it's too big and juicy of a story. And, and you know... I, We've speculated before whether they would turn up, you know, uh, Captain Pike and Spock on Discovery. I kind of hope they don't. That would feel really, real cheesy. I think they might do that in, like, you know, when they're about to get canceled and they really are jumping the shark, maybe. But, you know, otherwise, maybe not. But it's a really good opportunity to tell that story in a novel. So uh, maybe that's what that is. Uh, we'll also be getting another novel in 2018 that's going to be by Dayton Ward. And again, real, real teasery. They said that it's going to be set simultaneous to an existing canon event and about 10 years before the events of Discovery. Now, we have a theory because we were working this out with Grace from Women at Warp this morning. We think it's the events from uh, Kodos the Executioner. Uh, so it's the Conscience of the King. It's a TOS episode, which I believe season one. And a troop of actors comes aboard the Enterprise, and Kirk is convinced that one of the actors is none other than Kodos the Executioner in disguise. Now, Kodos the Executioner had, in the past, uh, massacred half of his population. And the reason... He was presented almost as a sympathetic character because basically what happened is his, his society was on the brink of starvation. And uh, rather than letting his people starve, he killed half of them. And, uh, and then it was particularly sad because the rescue came days later. And then it, in the end, it's, it, 
the conscience of the king is about Kirk discovering, you know, uh, who he is and, and all of that. I won't spoil it because <clears throat> it's only a 50-year-old TV show. Um, <laughs> uh, but, that, but that does happen around the same time. Those events happened in 2246, which is around uh, 10 years before Discovery is set. Um, and there's, there's a lot of meat to that story, and I would love to see that be told in a, in a novel. So, you know, total, that's total speculation. If it's wrong, blame Grace. Um, and, and, and we'll see. So the other thing that they talked about was the comic books, and there's going to be a comic book series that comes out also simultaneously with uh, the release of Discovery. And it actually, they're coming out in a mini-series format. So the first one is a series of four books all about Takuvma, and giving you a bit of uh, background on that character and, and, and what he's up to. And they're, they're planning more sort of mini-series like that in the future, so we'll, um, we'll keep that in mind. You know, in the past... It has generally been considered that if it's not on screen, mm -hmm. it's not canon. Yeah. And yet, here we are seeing comics being developed and novels being developed in conjunction with what is happening on the screen. So therefore, moving forward, are these literary productions actual canon? Well, I'm glad you asked that, Elijah. Actually, one of the um, one of the people in the in the audience during the Q and A asked exactly that question of Kirsten Beyer because she's the one she's the one who's in control of all that. Um, she stopped short of saying they were canon. I think they are still considered maybe soft canon. But what she did say was that the showrunners are very much aware of what's going on in the expanded universe, and that's. That's why her role is unique, because she's going back and forth between the publishing world and the TV writing world. And they are able to give each other heads up to say, I know you've just written most of this book. We're totally going to do something in the show that's going to make that null and void. And she's able to communicate that back to the people who are writing, and they can, they, they can change tack uh, as and when. So know that they won't be canon, but yes, they will be developed about as closely with canon as you possibly can. So, so yeah, there's a, an absolute ton of information. Uh, the number one thing that I came away from these panels with was that I'm so excited for Discovery, and I know we've poo-pooed it on the show, and I know, you know, I make valuable arguments, uh, and I, I think a lot of the things that we thought before were negatives were actually uh, based on a misunderstanding. And particularly me, I mean, I really poo-pooed them flying to Switzerland for the, the fabric. But when, you, when they talk through the process, the technology of how you make costumes is totally different. Now, speaking of costumes, they did have an exhibit here, much like they did at San Diego Comic-Con, with costumes, with uh, props, with images mm -hmm. from Star Trek Discovery. Yep. And um, I got to say, I didn't make it to the panels because I was busy prepping for, for the uh, Star Trek Online panel. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm glad that you went and I might listen to those. But going to the exhibit was a remarkable experience. Yes, agreed. Um, I, I joked when I got back that I had no words. That, like, they should have sent a poet you know, <laughs> from, from contact because when I, I was so in the moment when I walked into that exhibit. I put my face inches away from the costumes oh, yeah. looking at seams yep. how neat I did exactly the same thing how clean 
Uh-huh. Not a single thread out of place. Yep. And beautiful. Yep. And the Starfleet uniforms were. Yep. You know, there were. I took a few pictures. It's funny, actually, because I noticed one of the props. It was um, one of the handheld tricorders. Yeah. The, did you notice that the one of the pieces of plastic was peeling up? Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. Like at San Diego Comic-Con, uh, they had placards explaining, you know, a, a bit more about the costume. You know, the detail is so remarkable that even in the in the EV suit, there's a difference in the pattern that they use on, on the costume. Like down the leg, there's mm-hmm. octagonal shapes, but then there's like this, there's this the band delta of delta shape there. And my, my argument has, you know, because we, we are, at first we argued, does it really need to be this detailed? But it does, because the likelihood is that they're going to be shooting for 4K or high definition. Yeah. And you're going to see this on the television. You're going to, you can notice these things. Well, and I wanted to speak to that specifically because having sat through the panel, that was, that was one of the things that enlightened me the most and opened my eyes. Um, that's what I said before about the technology of how they make these things. And it really is getting the right people to be thinking about these things in the right way and then putting them together is easy. So I'm fairly certain it's this... The, the fancy Delta Shield fabric that that's the I mean because that's the stunning piece isn't it it's right. uh, it's hard to describe but it looks like kind of spandex with little embossed deltas on it yes that's what yeah and they yeah. use it over and over again there's a couple mm-hmm. different colors and they use it in all the different pieces mm-hmm. in all the different places but mm-hmm. just that's you know that's a guy who or a woman who who designed that fabric and they could print yards and yards of it and just using it as accents comes out with a really nice look yep yep so there's that side of it. The other side of it was the bits, especially the Klingon armor, which is so richly detailed. I mean, if you look super, super close in the back of one of the helmets, there's there's this tiny, tiny skull of a Klingon, which A, somebody had to design the skull, right? right. And then they also had to incorporate it into it. Right. Now, if they did that by hand with a piece of clay and then they molded it, and that would take forever, but they do it all... They do it all digitally. They do it digitally, then they print it out, and there's your mold. And that eliminates so much. I keep thinking how I would make cosplay or how I knew they used to make costumes in the 90s or something. That is not how it works now. And they're, they're smart, and they're efficient, and they're using technology in great ways that are coming out with these amazing-looking things with the same effort. Yeah, yeah. You know, I noticed with the, uh, I wasn't as moved, and it could just be because I'm not, um, like the, the Klingons have never been, you know, uh, a, a character in, in the Star Trek mythos that I've mm. particularly gravitated towards. But, um, I mean, the, the detail on their, on, on their armor, mm-hmm. the, the etching, even the, the lightest little bit of etching on, on the fins, part of the little fins and the edges, I mean... There's no way that that was 3D printed. Somebody had to have gone back and maybe no, caught. It's a combination. Yeah. So the, the Klingon armor, and in fact, in the panel, they showed a, a diagram. It's actually a composite of several different layers of different techniques. Mm-hmm. There are pieces that were 3D printed that right. went directly onto the armor. Right. Then there are other things where they were 3D printed, then made a mold of, and then created with whatever other media. And right. then they were all you know, put together with a spandex suit underneath, right, I guess. Right. So it was a combination of a lot of different techniques, but it's it, you know, that kind of thing. Just it takes somebody who's really skilled to think about what's the best way to do it, and then put that together. They they did say that often when you get a piece of armor like that, you put it on the actor and something breaks because the way they move or whatever. And this one, the torchbearer costume, they put it on him, 
and it fit, and it and they didn't have to change it. The the other thing that kind of bothered me about the the Klingon armor is because you can when you compare it to Starfleet, right? Right. Starfleet is obviously a fabric, right? That's what they're using. Yeah. And it was so clean, and there was like I said, no no thread out of place. But then you go to the Klingon armor, right? And yeah. On screen, it looks gold. Right. right, and then on some of the shoulder pads had um, like rubies on them. Yeah, and when I got you know two inches away from it with you know with my eyes, I was like, man, that kind of that looks like plastic. You know, it it didn't it didn't have that wow factor for me mm. quite like Starfleet, because you know it had, it, a real a real armor set of armor would be gold metal so again i i have to suspend disbelief now that's yeah. that's a that's a very 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 n- stupid nitpick that's very thing. nitpicky yeah and it's <laughs> stupid it's even stupid as i say it i'm like it sounds silly they're obviously not going to use real gold but again what caught me off guard and what caught what, what really just took my breath away was the etching on on the klingon armor mm-hmm. on the helmets yep. how how it, it looked it re- the helmets especially yeah. not so much the armor but the helmets, I felt like I was looking at at medieval artifacts. Yeah. That back in, in our history, those helmets were made out of metal and etched beautifully. Yep. You know, worn for kings and queens and royalty. That's the feeling I got when I looked at those helmets. Mm. That I was looking at an artifact that you would see in a museum from some sort of dynasty. Yeah. You know, uh, in our own past. And that is impressive. Again, I walked away from that discovery exib- exhibit, moved, mm-hmm. like really moved yeah. at how beautiful everything was. Yes, agreed. You know, um, and so, you know, I, I was talking actually to David. I, I was talking to someone about how even my own opinion has flipped from how very early on. I mean, a lot of my my arguments early on were more about marketing. I think it was Al. It might have been with Al. A lot of my arguments early were about marketing, how how poorly planned this all seemed to have been. Yep. And there was a concern that this might be just thrown all together. But then when you look at the intricacy and the detail in that exhibit, yeah, no, this is not thrown together. They took their sweet time. Now, did they still have to go to Switzerland to get... Something died. So, I don't know. Cause, if like, that the came plaques, back with that little Delta thing, I, I want it. I don't think the Delta. It, oh, I, the plaques. Was, the, when I read the plaques, it was that they they sent the the fabric over to get dyed. Oh, I see. Now, now, if that's the case, I respect that because I used to work for uh, a company that did textiles, um, you know, uh, bed sheets and things like that. And you would be shocked at how difficult it is to get the right colors onto fabrics, especially where you have mixed kinds of fabrics. Right. It is impossible. For instance, if you take a, a, a set of towels, you, this is, I, I recognize that this is going off tangent slightly, but if you take a set of towels, uh, four different sizes of towels will be four different colors. They look the same color to you, but they're four different dye batches because the pile is different thing, and it's, if you look at it in yeah. different lighting, yeah. that can be extremely hard. And if they're trying to make sure they get the, that blue perfect across all of them, like, you know, in TNG where you got to got that sort of that teal versus blue thing going right, on. Right, They're right. trying to get rid of that. Uh, I, right. I, yeah, I, I respect that. Like right here on the plaque for the white uh, Starfleet Medical 
officer duty uniform, the mm-hmm. fabric for, quote, the fabric for the Starfleet duty uniforms is custom dyed in Switzerland, then yep. cut and built in Toronto by the Star Trek Discovery costume team under the direction of costume designer Gersha Phillips. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm totally cool with that. And uh, and white is, is probably the hardest thing you will ever find to dye. That actually, come to think of it, I didn't think of it in the moment, but now that I'm, I, I think back of it, that was that was a bright white. It was a, it was a good white. It was, it was a, a good pure white, yep. white light yep. fabric. Yep. I could talk for hours on, on how to get the right, right white. Right, and it's, right. And it's a different white and different lights. And But, you know, the Deltas, when yeah. I looked at them closely... I kind of want to say it's not as hard as people might think to do it, as co- to cosplay it. If you take, uh, like, like, think of it, get, a, get it, like, a, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm already thinking about how I would do it. I would probably take, like, a, a, a hard plastic and then delta, yeah. like a cookie cutter. Yeah. Right? And then all you really need to do is get gold fabric paint. Yeah. Paint it over, you know, get, make it thick. So that yeah. way when it dries, it has that 3D look to it. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. So what you need to do is find is find like a tiny little delta cutter, yeah, like a little delta cookie, cookie cutter, and then cut them into the into the cookie. Well, I'm glad you mentioned cosplay actually because I wanted to make a, a point about uh, they had the Starfleet rifles and phasers, uh, and also tricorders, communicators, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Was it my imagination, or were the deltas the same deltas as you can buy? Uh, no, no, no. Because they I, looked I, almost identical. They look, they, they look like, just about identical. You know the yes. deltas that you buy through wherever at yeah, the con, yeah, there, yeah, and they're yeah. kind of uh, they look like a replica. The deltas no, no, no. look like the same ones that you can buy from QMX. Yes, no, it's and, pretty, and that close. made me so happy because that's what you want when you're cosplaying, isn't it? You want something that's like as accurate as you can get, and if they're just making them the same way they make them, that'd be cool. I mean, maybe, but I mean, I I peeked around back, and it was definitely glued to a peg oh, or something oh, right, but, right, right. but yeah the deltas that we got here at, at um, the Vegas Star Trek convention look look very much like if not identical to those but even now you can get TNG you know or Star Trek online or mm-hmm. you know well not Star Trek online but you can get deltas that look amazing now yes. you know um, but again you know my, the, my biggest takeaway from the Klingons was definitely that 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 I was almost looking at at relics from our own pa- our own past, from dynasties in our own past, you know. Yeah, there definitely um, was taking some it's cues. Gorgeous! It was gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. So, captains, I mean, look. I, after being here at Vegas, after seeing the exhibit, I almost didn't go. I almost didn't go to the exhibit. How stupid would I have been? I'm shaking my head at you. I right know, now. I know. Um, <laughs> you know, because of time and doing interviews, and I was yep. like, all right, well, I, I got to weigh it. I got to weigh what's more important. But I know that I would have had some significant regret had I not been able to, had I not gone to the exhibit. So, I mean, I've been singing the praise now for a few weeks. Tony's been very negative about it. Yep. Because, you know, he wants originality. Um, (laughs) You know, you've been sort of in the middle. But look, I'm sold. You know, I'm I'm sold. sold. I'm really excited about about Discovery. And um, I'm not so much cautiously optimistic as I am now just Mm -hmm. optimistic. And I really hope that this show gains traction because I think we're going to get to explore stories in such a new and fascinating way in a serialized storytelling mm-hmm. that I l- would have loved to have seen more of in, let's say, something like Deep Space Nine. Yep. You know, when, when, when Al and I were talking, because he, you know, he always makes fun of me for, for 
not, not liking Deep Space Nine because <laughs> of the fact that I think that you know it tells and doesn't show. The other thing that he mentioned is that sometimes there was a serialized plot happening for a few episodes, and then there was like this one random episode out of nowhere about like the silliest thing. Yes. And it's like I don't want to watch this. I want to get back to the I want to get back to the Dominion War. Can we not do these episodes? Yeah. And it took it pulled me out of Deep Space Nine. Like that kind of thing pulled me out. So I, I'm I, again I'm really excited. Really excited. And if you ever get to see this exhibit, if it ever comes around your area some way, somehow, yep. go. Because, take the chance to go. Yeah, take the chance to mm-hmm. go because this, this, these, are, these uniforms just are beautiful. Yep. Everything is beautiful. Everything. Klingon, you name it. Just gorgeous. gorgeous. Yeah, and I did, take, I did take quite a few pictures as yeah, we, so as we run around. We'll try and put them up on our Facebook page. Yeah. Uh, that's facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast, if you didn't already know. Uh, and you can go and have a look at them for yourself. Absolutely. Well, Captains, that wraps up our coverage of Star Trek Discovery here at Star Trek Las Vegas. Now, let's talk about little ships. Little tiny starships. With Eagle Moss. Well, Captains, we are here with Ben Robinson, who works for Eagle Moss. Now, he manages the Star Trek line of products for Eagle Moss, including all of the teeny tiny starships that we all know and love. Uh, Now, we've got some of the new larger starships and even a few other things like uh, Deep Space Nine and the new Starbase K-7 and a whole bunch of other things. Um, Why don't you give us a quick introduction to all of the range of things that you do (laughs) for Star Trek and, and, you know, quick. Uh, Okay. Okay. We make we make little model starships, as you say, mm-hmm. um, and then some of them are on a larger scale, so things that make sense for them to be larger. So in particular, if you've got a big space station or something like that, we'll make a bigger model of it. Right. Uh, also, in order to keep them kind of separate, we've done all the things from the Kelvin timeline as specials rather than as parts of the regular collection. Right. Uh, and now, because there's been a lot of demand for people to, for, for us to do bigger versions of some of the sort of favorite ships we've mm-hmm. done to do a line of hero ships that are bigger still okay uh now so the hero ships give me an example of what that would be well the enterprise <laughs> is the simple answer but uh, not just the enterprises but the enter- all the enterprises mm-hmm. voyager the defiant uh possibly but not definitely the excelsior the reliant those kind of things the really famous ships before we before we move on you know we've seen different scales of ships mm-hmm. can you remind listeners what these scales are and the differences because now you've mentioned you're introducing a th- yet a third scale for well the it's it's yeah there there are basically three sizes so the regular ships and unfortunately I'm being european I will be doing this in millimeters the regular ships are in the kind of 120 millimeter 130 millimeter range mm-hmm. you can't really do Star Trek ships in scale with one another if you want to charge the same every time uh, because you'd get some things that were tiny and some things that were massive Uh, and then we have a line that's around the kind of 8 inch kind of size which uh, as I said has mostly been used to do things from the Kelvin timeline plus a few things that aren't quite at home in the regular collection so we did Doug Drexler's Enterprise NX refit it's not quite a cannon ship it benefited from the extra size you know, there was a reason to make it bigger. And mm-hmm. then we now started to do a line of 10 or 11 inch, and it varies a little bit because it depends on whether it's a big fat ship or a long thin ship um, of the hero ships. So those mm-hmm. are the, the biggest ships. And the thing that we announced today is that we'll be doing discovery ships, which are sort of set somewhere in between those kind of medium and large. It's going to vary. Uh, again, a lot of it depends on the sort of architecture of each individual ship. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Discovery itself is very long and very thin. 
so we tried to push to give it a bit of extra length to make it a bit longer uh, whereas the Shenzhou is quite compact and quite sort of muscular okay. uh, it's a bit shorter but it's a lot wider well while we're talking about the discovery ships um, can you just talk to us about uh, so what do you have access to have they given you like the actual schematics and oh, all of that they have sort given of thing? us the actual ships they've given right. us the visual effects models that they're wow. using in the show wow they're giving us turntables to show us the textures mm -hmm. and it's going back to those guys for approval as well right so this this is I mean it's an amazing level of cooperation and it's it's enormously satisfying particularly when I spend my life <laughs> scrabbling around to try and find reference yep. on something that's only known as a piece of wreckage in one yeah. episode but now I mean they're amazingly detailed ships I don't think we could really have done these yeah. at the smaller scale to do them any kind of justice and as I say we couldn't have had more cooperation They're, the guys have been absolutely fantastic so it's just those two ships for the time being oh or no 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 there, there are there's a whole line it oh, will wow. be a regular uh, monthly we can do one a month because they're going to be more expensive there'll be mm -hmm. bigger ships yep I don't think I'm allowed to say how many ships there are in Discovery. Oh, okay. I think it's privileged information. <laughs> I'm not sure. Okay. So I better err on the you side know of what? caution. It's better to ask for forgiveness <laughs> than to... What is the no, saying? No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> better not to screw it up the first time. Yeah. What I can tell you is there are a lot of ships in Discovery. Okay. And is this going to be... Because um, one of the core mechanics of the way that Eagle Moss works is the subscription service. Mm -hmm. So you, you get uh, two ships a month for a fixed price and it, yeah. you, it goes on through the collection. Is is this going to be a separate uh, Yes, a separate so this will be, be a separate yeah. subscription. The, the original collection continues to run. Mm -hmm. um, that's another reason for us not to sort of go overboard and do more than one a month of yeah. the Discovery ones. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, you know, like everybody involved in Star Trek, we really hope Discovery kind of kicks things up to another level and brings back a lot of people who haven't been interested in the show for a while. Okay. So I think there will be people who will only want the Discovery ships. I, I'd hope so. Yeah. And, and how can people get the discovery can, can you sign up for it now or is it not? Uh, we are uh, we will we can't take any orders yet mm -hmm. uh, if you search for eagle moss and discovery you should find a page where you can register your interest okay we are hoping that by the time we get to new york comic-con or by the time the show airs that we will actually be able to take orders the difficulty for us is that we can't start shipping them until they're approved yeah. And, you know, we've learned that until very recently, the actual final decoration, as yeah. it were, the final textures yeah. on the Discovery models hadn't been approved by the producers. So that's only happened relatively oh. recently okay. in the last week or so. So where are you in terms of the production process? You're still in design right now. And uh, then we've made, so we have to make a mold. We make right. tools. So yep. we have tools for the first two ships. Yep. And we're working on a third, which they supplied to us a little while ago. Yeah. We're waiting for the final sign-off on the the textures effectively the painting of them yeah. and how long that takes you know we will go as fast as we can yeah. but it's important to get it right and it will have to go back to back to CBS and back to the back to the visual effects guys and the producers even hmm. to get sign off on the on the painting now you've also been doing several of the comics can you speak to us about that mm -hmm. yeah so we're doing what we hope will be the kind of definitive archival collection of uh, Star Trek comics uh, we've been working with IDW uh, again, it's designed to work on a subscription model. So mm -hmm. the idea being that you can get everything from all the different publishers that have done Star Trek comics over the years. Yep. From nice. Gold Key to IDW oh, wow. by via Tokyo Pop and Malibu, as well as Marvel and DC. So because you said you were working with IDW, but it's not just the IDW comics that you have access to. No, we, we have access to the... the the grant of rights covers mm -hmm. absolutely everything. So there will be literally 
Tokyo Pop, Malibu. Yeah. Um, obviously, Marvel, DC, Paramount Comics, yeah. that, you know, oh, wow. briefly existed. Wow. Wow. All of that stuff. Now, see, this is something that really interests me because I actually, I actually met you last year at Destination Star Trek in Birmingham uh, after you, d- you did a panel with John Van Sitters all about the old, uh, yeah. sort of the history of Star Trek comics. And I found that absolutely fascinating. I was not a big, well, I'm still not a huge comic uh, reader, yeah. but the history of having it gone through all the different publishing houses is absolutely fascinating. You get very different takes on Star Trek from different yes. publishers. They, they see it as a different kind of thing. I think until IDW, there wasn't really a kind of settled view mm-hmm. of what Star Trek comics should be. Yeah. Um, so you get lots of different, uh, different takes, different ways of doing it. Like something's a bit kind of manga-ish or something is uh, all about a new version of the crew. Something's all about the crew between two movies where they then had to kind of reset it. Mm-hmm. Um, there are all sorts of fascinating things in the comics that uh, the writers either had early versions of scripts and they put scenes in that got cut from the final versions of the right, movies. Right. There are characters who are mentioned in Bibles and things like that, like uh, Dr. McCoy's daughter Joanna. Interesting. Um, or Zon, who would have been the replacement for Spock yeah. in the 1970s TV series. All of those characters turn up in the comics. Yeah. Um, and you also get occasionally you get some funny little uh, for the comic book fans out there you get some funny little easter eggs like discovering that uh, some of the covers are drawn by Frank Miller um, interesting <laughs> now let's go over a little bit about the pricing structure mm-hmm. you know because it is different depending on what you want to collect yeah there are different ways of i mean obviously we said there were different sizes of ship they they have different prices naturally mm-hmm. enough yep you can you can always buy anything individually the issue with that obviously is that some of the sh- ships go out of stock very quickly and mm-hmm. it's difficult for us to manage that we the way we operate in europe has always been on a subscription basis yep. uh, something a bit new a bit different in the states uh but the way it works is that you pay 40 dollars a month plus the, like three or four dollars for shipping mm-hmm. and we send you two ships every month um you start everybody would start at the beginning you sign up now you still start at the beginning you don't have to don't have to have issue 75 or whatever it is that's going out right uh, you can cancel very easily. You know, when you sign up, you're not like, okay, I now have to do this for the rest of my life. Yeah. And then when you say so you have that kind of core subscription, and then you can choose various add-ons that you can put on top of that. Right. So you can say, okay, put me in for the larger size specials, of yeah. which there are five or maybe six a year. Yeah. Uh, now with the extra hero ships, you know, because these are ships that you'll get in the regular collection anyway, but if you want a bigger version of it, you can sign up to add that mm-hmm. to your subscription as well. Yeah. Or you can just buy individual bits and pieces to add to your collection or just buy individual bits and pieces. All, you know, it's all, all options are available. One thing that has come up a lot here is that um, we sometimes skip issues so that we, we, can't, we have quite a lot of stuff to manage and a lot of different stock and you know, people will see some of the ships are going for silly prices on eBay. Mm-hmm. We are reordering stock of everything and we, everything will be back in stock. But rather than not ship you something in the month when, when something's missing, we'll skip over it and ship you the next thing. And then when it comes back in stock, we will then ship the one that you missed before. I see. Yeah. Well, I can attest that you guys have a really, um, uh, a really good sort of customer service because no one questions asked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, because one, uh, uh, our science advisor, Dr. Robert Hurd, is a long-time collector of the Eagle Moss ships. Yes, he showed and me a picture a, of his dining table. Yes, it's a rather extensive <laughs> collection, which we will have to share with our listeners at some point because it is very impressive, um, and and. He also gets the specials as well, and he was ranting and raving about all of the uh, the cool hero ships that he's had 
through the through his subscription as well. So I have been very tempted to do it, <laughs> but I I am afraid of being in that same boat of where am I going to put them? Where where? One of the the big things this comes up for us because we do all sorts of other collections. We do you know Marvel and DC figurines, mm -hmm. Doctor Who figurines, James Bond cars, you know all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and we've, we've learned that one of the things people really need is packaging that they can store things in. Yes. So, you know, you can you take it out of the box, but you can put it back in the box. Yes, um, actually. You know, so you mm -hmm. can keep, um, you know, if you've got room for 20 on display, you can still have 50, but keep 30 of them, you know, you can put them back in the box and keep them safe. Depending on what mood you're in. Maybe you're yeah. in a Romulan and mood, indeed. you know, just have the Romulan ships out or... A Klingon mood. Klingon, Klingon yes, yes. yes. Just nice. smash everything. Yes. Now, it, it's not just the discovery that you have that are new for the convention. Um, can you tell us about the newest things that you're showing off today? Oh, we've got a few. Well, we have previews of things that are, are part of the collection that are coming out. So uh, K7, which was one of the most requested things that we've had. <laughs> yep. Um, it's actually, and David Gerald very kindly wrote an article for us uh, about the origins of K7 that yes. goes in the magazine. That's the other thing we didn't even mention, that the ships come with a magazine that's right. Right. that profiles the that's ship. That's what you were using, that's what you were saying earlier, issues. Because we were talking about comics yes, earlier. And shipping, people, yeah, yes. shipping, sh a shipment, I guess. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so each of these ships comes with a magazine that profiles it in-universe yep. and then also does an article about how it came to be, how it was designed, how it was filmed whether it was CG or practical. And we've actually started collecting those into a series of books, designing Starships books, which are kind of art of books. But my frustration with art of books was that they never actually told you what you were looking at. Right. Right. So they actually have some text that explain what you're looking at uh, and what you're doing. Yes. Great. Uh, the other thing we started doing is some concept ships. So we started doing things. Oh, look, it's Ira Stephen Bear. Oh, well, <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we've just been interrupted by uh, by uh, a visitor no, to the booth. No, no it's probably no, the no, best is... interruption possible. Yeah, I yeah. think uh, we can, we can handle that. Would you like to swing by and perhaps sit in the hot seat and talk to us a little bit? You should you should tell come them about and, your documentary. Come, and, come on, swing on swing on in here. You can share a mic with me. You can have my mic. Come on. <laughs> here, oh, no, no, don't These are the. I have a microphone right here. I have, this I have is, we are a couple of podcasts that we are part of the Roddenberry Podcast Network, and uh, the three of a. They're the, the one you want to be on. Yeah, the, the three one shows on the network. I'll cover the different aspects. Devil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Would you like to sit down? Oh, he's who's speaking now? Okay, I don't see any. Uh, I don't see. I'll give you a Deep Space Nine. I don't see any Deep Space no. Nine. Um, I'll go I don't Deep see Space Nine into Defiant. They didn't, I don't know why they didn't bring them over. I'll give you them. Okay, I'll okay. Them. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. We'll discuss it later. It'll, it'll be a... a you do you know, know they didn't do enough ships on Deep Space Nine? They're, you got the lowest ship rate. Well, if we had them, we'd like to blow them up. You know? <laughs> That's so, true. There you go. That could have been better. So now you've you've actually kind of come with your own crew. What's, what's going right. on? They just won't leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> I beg them. The theme music is coming next, yeah. To yeah. put down the cameras, but they can't. Um, they've been following me since 2013. Yes. And have I you spoken to someone about that? I have. <laughs> I have. There was a restraining order, but it only lasted six months. And they used that time to make some documentary about Leonard Nimoy. Oh, right. Like okay. anyone cared oh, about good. Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> and. Uh, so, but that had to end eventually, and then they came back. Oh, and right. And now we're doing it some more. So how is that process going right now? How has been the reception while you are here, right? No, but as, as you speak with fans who are excited about Deep Space Nine the and the dock. The fans are extremely excited about yes. the dock. Yes. And it's my job to 
kind of tamp down that excitement. Yeah. It's like, yeah. don't be so excited. Right. You know, it's best to go in with low expectations to things. Yeah. The higher the expectations, the more you risk being disappointed. So right. I tell them it's not going to be that good. Right. So right. maybe they'll be surprised, maybe not. And where are you in the production process for the, the documentary? Uh, I am hope, hopeful that this weekend, this Vegas Con weekend mm -hmm. will be the uh, the tipping point, the ending of the interviews, unless of course Avery decides to uh, to join in. But short of that, I'm pretty sure that will mark the end of the interviews. Right, guys? <laughs> See that? Hopefully. Uh, no. So how then comes the editing? Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think I'm going to be interviewed at some point. So what we've did you saved do? that to the end. <laughs> right, right. Well, I will be the filler inner of stuff that we feel like we didn't get. Right. If, we, if there's anything or any point of view that we need. So um, we're saving that till the very end of the yeah. process. Now, how much access do you have to old documents and old papers, sheets? Well, let me tell you something. Besides the fans who have been absolutely remarkable right. and... I love them to death because they really have stepped up far more than it was expected. I was told, you know, we asked for $150,000 for the Indiegogo campaign. I was told, don't be disappointed if it takes, you know, all 30 days to get that. And yep. we don't know. And even if we get close, that'll be good enough. And it's like, okay, guys, I mean, okay, fine. Yeah. And then, of course, we made that in 29 hours. Congratulations. So someone <laughs> underestimated wow. the fan uh, response yeah. to the uh, documentary. So besides the fans, people, you know, not just the expected ones like the Akutas, yep. you know, but crew members uh, have come out and have their, everyone's giving us whatever they have. When yeah. you say documents right. and, and blueprints and so much material it's it's such a beautiful thing to uh, see and then i find out that ron moore had like a little squirrel had been during the the show the life of the show yeah. had been squirreling all kinds of things like you know all different <laughs> script variations and dailies oh wow yeah. you know yeah. I kept like six days of dailies right. and right. i thought you know that was like whoa <laughs> right you know uh, Ron kept a lot of dailies, it seems like. So all of that is 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 great to have. So yeah, it's 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 an amazing effort. It's it's, it's been a beautiful thing to uh, to just watch, let alone be a part of. You know, I, I have to say, DS Nine really did usher in serialized television. Mm. Right? It was it, it took a it took a, a bold step, and it did it well. Now that you look at something like upcoming discovery do you feel proud that, that that's that's your baby that 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 you 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 brought that to life for star trek that idea of serialized storytelling look i've said this before mike and rick you know created this show when mike asked me to come back to the franchise he told me it was going to be different that's how he sold me the show right you know all i did and all we did was to follow in the path that was laid out for us. Mm. Now, yes, there were times where that path was questioned by the very people who created that path <laughs> and the people in charge of overlooking that path. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Too bad. You know, 
It, they set up the playing field. We liked the playing field. We were going to take that playing field and do as much as we could with it. Take it all the way. That was that was the mantra at the writers' room. You know, just keep going. Just keep thinking. Just keep you know examining what the hell this franchise means and where does it work? Where does it fall down? all these preconceived notions let's just kind of look at them in a different way so that's all we did was it annoying at times that we kept getting all these like you know begging us begging us to not serialize Mm. begging us telling us we were killing the show we were forcing the fans not to watch i mean ridiculous things like Mm -hmm. that they can't do it they can't they can't conceive they can't follow it it's too confusing there are too many characters and blah 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 was that annoying at the time? Yes. But it didn't stop us from doing what we were doing. And now it's, you know, this is the victory lap. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it sounds like you've actually had a, a pretty busy working week getting interviews and things like that for the documentary. Is that right? Um, yeah. You know, I mean, it's, 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 uh, uh, it's, it's, it's work a little bit of the time, yeah. but it's really... Uh, you know, you could get caught up a little bit too much in all the uh, the outpouring of affection, which is lovely, but but it's it 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 kind of takes you away from what you're trying to accomplish. But uh, you know, it was nice. It's it's always nice to be here. I only do. I'm not jaded like some of the actors. I only do one of these a <laughs> you say year. Nothing. You so say it's nothing. like when I see the fans, it's not like I, was, I saw the same fans, you know, six weeks ago yep. in uh, Peru or wherever the hell it was that they uh, had a convention. So for me, this is like this is like fun for a couple of days. So you've had a chance to, to relax and enjoy yourself a little bit while you've been here. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's always an amazing, jarring experience to be back and to just see that people still care. Absolutely. I expect Absolutely. each year... That they're going to say, now nah, you know what, on the other hand, Star Wars, baby, that's the way to go. <laughs> you know, Harry Potter, man, that's yeah. it. Or, or of course, Marvel Comics, you know. It is Wonder plenty of room Woman. for everybody. It seems to be. It's a cool yeah. thing. So if you could remind our listeners where they can take part in the documentary, if they still can contribute, and where they can follow. Uh, the, it's the ds9documentary.com. You know, go there. The, the the great guys here keep everything up to date. What we're doing is we're doing these confessionals. Yeah. You know, and what I was hoping for, but I realize now this is really not the place to do it. Was uh, I, I hate the word hater because hater. We live in a society where hate is thrown yeah. around way too much, <laughs> and it's a TV show. Yeah. And if you hate a TV show, you need help. You know, because if you don't like it, don't watch it. (laughs) I mean, that's what I tell everyone. Don't watch it. So, but there are people who who love the franchise who maybe do not love Deep Space Mm -hmm. Nine. Yes, Elijah is one of those people. You know, you you could have saved that. (laughs) So you could go and uh, and and speak about that at the confessional. I would like to get the opposing point of view. I do not hate. We're going to have to get you over there. Well, I would hope you don't hate any of of TV shows. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Um, you can dislike it actively, but <laughs> you know, you, that's fine. It, but hate is a strong... It's a very strong word. No, 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 no. I don't, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. If I, it's, it's, 
He's very uncomfortable right now. Yeah, thanks, Ken. I appreciate <laughs> it. But, um, well, thanks so much for stopping by. We really appreciate, really appreciate it. it. Oh, okay. All right. All right. All right, here we go. You have so, to explain yourself. Tell us All right. what it is. This is your opportunity to, to, to tell us what you don't like about the show. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and please be uh, honest. All right. The, as, as has been the case with most of the Star Trek series, well, TNG, Voyager, and DS9, the first three seasons always kind of find their footing. I think that with Deep Space Nine, it was ahead of its time. So there was a lot of telling, but not showing. There was more to it. There was more to it. For instance, Explain I, what you mean by that, because uh, that sounds good, but I need to know what you mean. Telling, so we, not showing. We were in the middle of the Dominion War, right? People, I remember... Um, not in the first three seasons. Not in the first three seasons, but moving forward. We start to get really into the Dominion War. We start to hear about the battles. We start to hear about the, 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 the Starfleet people dying. You know, they're reading the names every morning. And it was only in a few episodes that we saw that battle. That we were, we were on the ground with the other, against the Dominion, or in space against the Dominion. Now, again, I, I, I can only presume that it had so much to do with budgeting and CGI at the time, and that you, if you could have, you would have shown it all. But that was... We would have shown more. Right, right. Uh, but I think that's where my perspective has been. Now, I was younger when I watched it. I am, I am overdue to rewatch the series, and I've promised the lead designer of Star Trek Online, who loves Deep Space Nine, mm -hmm. that I would, um, I would rewatch it again. And, mm -hmm. and now that, I, I, now that I, guess I particularly love serialized television, go back in and start appreciating it differently with, from a different lens and perspective. Not. Maybe not. Maybe not. That's true. That, it may, well, it I will say case. this. If, and I'm not telling you to do it, okay. because I haven't done it, I keep saying I'm going to wait till Blu-ray, which I realize now is a losing battle, <laughs> but I have not, I've only watched one episode in 20 years. Right. But if you do go back and, and, and give it another chance and, and kind of binge it or however you yeah. want to say I would love to hear what your opinion was, even if it was still negative, I, uh, even if right. you didn't like it. But I would love, and, and uh, you know, if you know Ben, Ben has my contact information, and right. I would like to hear from you. I appreciate that. Even if that. it has Thank nothing you. to do with the documentary, even if it's long after this documentary has been, you know, put wherever it documentaries get put, which I don't know, because this is the first documentary. They haven't shown me where we put it. I don't know. It's a vault, maybe, or it's in a house, or it's yeah, underground. I have no idea. But once that's over, I still would like to hear what you say, just out of curiosity. I appreciate that. I will certainly uh, hold you up to that. He's sure. gonna, he is going to send you at least a two-hour reel of, uh, of an analysis now. That would be great. You've, you've, opened, that, you've opened that door. I was just complaining... And I'm going to talk to him about it later. I, I feel like uh, the, the the that this franchise, forget just Deep Space Nine, but the whole Trek franchise has been really, really, really undervalued by mainstream critics in this country, right. even popular oh, yes. culture yes. critics. I and it, it I, I, one of my biggest disappointments is the lack of analysis, pro or con, mm -hmm. that the franchise gets it kind of yeah. exists but harry potter gets written about more yep. right yeah. the yep. meanings of harry potter and and uh so think about that i'm gonna okay. talk to you about I, I that think have about you that. spoken to the folks over at cryptic studios who developed star trek online it's a massively multiplayer game where players can go in and be captains of their own ships they have told some amazing stories from Deep Space Nine, and it yep. continues to go on. They've created yep. Bajor, a beautiful ground system, 
they, they're very much appreciative of Deep Space Nine and that storytelling. You should talk to them because uh, you, I'm sure you'll get a, a, a lot of um, questions and certainly uh, yeah. um, love. Well, they're, um, the, they've, been, they've teased a whole lot of new content that's all going to be centered around Deep Space Nine and the Dominion War and all sorts of stuff that's coming out next year by the sounds of it. So that's like... I, uh, the timing is it's a, it's, amazing. I find it amazing. I, I, I never doubt the fan interest mm. in the franchise. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I just find that in in the pop culture landscape or mainstream culture, forget pop yeah. culture because that sounds way too judgmental, but in mainstream culture, we're acknowledged as existing, but it's, it's almost like beneath interest mm. to really kind of examine what it all means in yep. terms of the culture. And Sometimes. with that, I've gotten so boring, yes. <laughs> I can't take it anymore. Ben, Ben, I'm gonna stop. Start talking about Homer. A bullet gonna... right here in the head could <laughs> shut me up for good. That would be the last thing I'd want to do. Mm. Okay, well, think well, thank again. you very thank much. You. It's been a real pleasure and honor. Absolutely. Thank you. So this is definitely going in a blooper reel, that's for sure. <laughs> yes, that, that's true. Can't wait true. for Winters to hear this. Yes. So, um, um, yes. so thank you for, for calling him in. Well, and, yeah. um, so, so you want to talk to someone who knows what they're talking about. Right. <laughs> now, how, does, now, how does Eagle... How are you how working with... How do I know with, Ira? Yes, like what is the I, relationship? Ira, I, I've done Star Trek stuff for years and years and right. years. Mm. And we used to run a magazine in the US. And uh, I used to... I was based in London, obviously. And I used to do a lot of interviews. And I'd call Ira. And Ira's like the best interviewee in... A, as you've just discovered. Right. In right. the history of Star Trek. <laughs> right. And, and Ira used to say to me, you know what? There's an eight-hour time difference. Call me. You get up early. Call me at eleven at night. I'm, I've, I've watched the news, yep. and we can talk. Yep. So I would drag myself out of bed and start talking to Ira. And, and by about one o'clock in the morning, his time, I'd be like, going, Ira, I've got to go to work. <laughs> wow. Oh wow! Yes, yeah. because he is the most thoughtful and intelligent and funny guy that you could wish. So Wonderful. and we got on and we talked to one another a lot. While Deep Space Nine is being made, and then afterwards, yes. and precisely because you can say more about Deep Space Nine than you can about any of the other Star Treks. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes, you know, yes. there is. Yeah. It's got more texture. It's got more change for the characters, more evolution, and all of that. And Ira is very kind, and will still talk to me. Um, so <laughs> when we do, uh, we talk about say in the magazines that come with the ships. We talk mm -hmm. about the introduction of Defiant, why it was there. Right. Yeah. Pick up the phone to Ira and go. I don't know, Ben. I don't really remember. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, he does. So these are some other little nuggets that you get when you get one of these starships. These oh, behind-the-scenes yeah. things yeah, and absolutely. how they were they come with a, the Each one comes with a 20-page magazine. And, yeah. you know, Ira is probably the most entertaining person who worked on Star Trek. <laughs> but uh, we get regular contributions from John Eves, uh, from Rick Sternback, from Doug Dragsler, from Andy mm -hmm. Probert, you know, particularly the people who designed the ships. Right. Um, but, and you know, the, there are a lot of people who are very helpful. Well, Ben, we won't take up any more of your time, but <laughs> thank you. That, that, was, wow. that was amazing. That was phenomenal. Thank you yeah. again for stopping by. Well, and let's remind talk. everybody again how they can subscribe and oh, where yeah. to go. Yeah. And Ask Ira about uh, yes. <laughs> No, so if you go to eaglemoss.com or herocollector.com, you'll be able to, to find a Star Trek page. And from there, you can sign up or you can order individual ships. Uh, and as I said, you'll soon be able to register interest in Discovery. Uh, which actually yeah. I'm really excited about and yes. I hope we'll be able to show stuff soon. Excellent. Great. Wonderful. Well, thank, well, thank you, you again. No, thank you. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today.
Well, captains, welcome once again to Star Trek Online News, but this is not just any Star Trek Online News. As we mentioned last week, Elijah hosted the Star Trek Online main stage panel at STLV this year, where they announced details about the upcoming season 14. They also announced that LeVar Burton will be joining the game for two featured episodes, and JG Hertzler, aka Martok, joined them on stage as well. So we hope you enjoy the audio, and they do play a trailer in there for the new season, which of course we'll link to in the show notes so you can see it for yourself. Please give a warm welcome to our moderator for our first panel this morning, Elijah from the Priority One podcast. Elijah, please come on out and let's talk about Star Trek Online. Good morning, thank you very much. Good morning, captains. As he said, I'm Elijah from Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, and I honestly can't think of a better way to celebrate the second day of Star Trek then by talking about Star Trek Online. And now we have a lot to, uh, to discuss here. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce to you many members of the Cryptic Studios development lead staff, starting with Michael Panov, lead artist. <laughs> lead producer, Maria Rosso. We have a special guest. And executive producer, Steven Rakosa. All right, so why don't, we, why don't we jump right in, shall we? Steven, Maria, tell us a little bit about what happened in Star Trek Online this last year. So we had a lot of fantastic seasons this past year, but it kind of focused on this uh, Zinkevi conflict that we've been working towards. Really? Yeah, it was pretty exciting. Uh, I actually have kind of forgotten what happened over the last year because I'm so like amped up for what's about to happen. Yeah, all the stuff that we're going to be telling you guys about shortly. <laughs> pretty exciting. So let's talk a little bit about the Zinkethi because the Zinkethi are a species that were spoken about but never seen. So, Michael, why don't you tell us a little bit about the process of designing a character from scratch? Sure. Well, you're, you're absolutely right. They were um, never actually seen on screen. Uh, Zinkethi were mentioned in like two episodes of Deep Space Nine um, as like a warp-capable species that the founders sort of coaxed uh, into conflict with uh, the Federation. And um, they were never seen on screen, like I said, but uh, Canon did mention that they were a heavily armored lizard-like species. And so that's really great news for us as the art team because if something is never seen on screen, that means we can kind of make up what it looks like. So it's a huge opportunity for us and it's a lot of fun to do. Um, so when we sort of started working on the early sketches of the Zinkethi, um, the, on the sort of their, their ground presence, the, the, what they actually look like, what the aliens look like, we went like all out. It was kind of, we were just like, let's just try something like stupid crazy. Let's go with like weird tentacle things and let's just go like do something we've never done before. Um, you know, we tried like insectoid things and sort of weird like no leg kind of crawly things and our animation department quickly told us, like, you don't want to uh, do squiddy, crawly things on uneven surfaces. It's a nightmare. So um, we sort of ended up settling on this kind of four-armed, brutish, kind of big, heavy-looking thing with um, sort of stubby rhino legs. And uh, we were pretty happy with that um, turned out. And so uh, looking back at the canon, the sort of reptilian hints that they have in the canon, we were like, well, let's try something cool, maybe like some sort of a combination, like a snapping turtle face with like a rhino or something like that, because they have similar... 
uh, properties in their hide, right? Like their texture is kind of similar. So once we sort of tried to to you know, tried to go that that route, we really enjoyed what we were seeing. So um, we kind of kept that. Uh, we you know tried some different color combinations and things like that, and ultimately we ended up moving on to um, their gear. So like, what are they wearing? How do they shoot? Things like that. And the designers basically had this idea for this in that they were going to be these like big tanks, like these big hulking sort of tanks. And um, they needed to offset all their immobility with their gadgets. So they had this backpack that had these modular weapons on there that we can put. Um, so in the game right now, you can actually uh, tell which Zinkethi um, has what power depending on what attachments they have on their backpacks. It's so, like the guys who shoot the drones out will have like these big antennas. And so um, that was a lot of fun. And um, uh, eventually, sort of once we had that ground uh, presence of the Zinkethi figured out, um, we decided to uh, move on to the space, um, their spaceships, and the uh, we have this sort of rhino-turtle hybrid uh, look for them. So we kind of translated that into their spaceships by giving the overall treatment of their ships kind of like this um, plated, heavily plated look, mm -hmm. uh, very defensive, um, but still uh, make them mobile. And we did that by basically making sure that all the lines of the Zinkethi ships were very long and sweeping, and it gives us idea that they could still be quick and, and fast. So um, it was a really challenging critter group. Uh, a lot of people had input on, uh, on this critter group. Uh, we had a lot of back and forth between all the departments, animation, um, character effects, character art, and systems. Everybody had you know, their opinion about it. But um, I think in the end, we came, out, came away with a really successful Star Trek piece. Absolutely. Now, uh, these pictures are showing on, on the monitors, right? In the, in the concept, one last question. You know, you guys have a very great relationship with CBS as a licensed product, a very successful licensed product. Do you send them pictures and they go, no, please, not that. Let's not do that. They've actually, they're actually really, really good about letting us um, sort of drive any sort of uh, brand new concepts. Uh, things that are existing in canon visually, um, we always want to run by them, make sure that everything looks good. But when it comes to something like this, um, they really um, have a lot of trust in us. And I think that makes that relationship even better because we, we just get to have fun with it and our team has a blast. So. Wonderful, wonderful. Now, um, in that design process, uh, you first go through concept and art. Who's the, who are like some of the main players in, the, in your art department? The, you know, people that, that kind of contribute on a daily basis like this. So, um, actually, that's a great opportunity to give a shout out to our concept artist Hector Ortiz, who recently broke his leg and is laying at home right now, recovering. And he's uh, begging to work. Yeah, he's like, he's like, send me some work. I'm like, I'm going crazy at home. Um, <laughs> Hector is responsible for all of our concept art, from our ships to characters to everything, essentially. And uh, he's a super talented guy. We're really lucky to have him. Um, it's basically, the, the process starts off with sort of me, Rukosa, and Hector sitting down and being like, what, 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 like, what is the you know, general uh, idea that we want to go for here visually? Right. And um, we, we gather as much data as we can about the sort of the existing canon and IP stuff, and then we generate content from there. So. Wonderful, wonderful. So let's talk a little bit about celebrations, right? Last year, you guys had a big celebration for the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. Absolutely. And you guys went nuts, and nuts in a great way. So talk to us a little bit about that. So we knew the 50th was coming, right? We were kind of looking at our calendar, and we always look ahead, like to plan about 18 months ahead. We're like, hey, it's going to be the 50th anniversary of TOS, and it's before we even heard anything from CBS that it was going to be a huge deal. So we decided we're going we're gonna to kind of do a TOS love letter. So we went through and just had to build entirely new art assets to kind of make it look like you're seeing on the screen now, hopefully. Um, of course, we have to have Vasquez Rock. Um, we got, um, you know, Chris Dewan to reprise his, his father's role. Um, 
we had voice actors coming in, and it was it was an amazing experience for us to go through and kind of cherry pick our favorite episodes and and build our own episodes out of them. Um, it was a fantastic way for us to celebrate almost throughout the entire year uh, the original series. Right, and that, you see, that's something that you know, if you're a new player. Star Trek Online does a phenomenal job at continuing the story and taking something that may have been a small episode from the series and expanding on it in such a wonderful and fulfilling way. So stories like uh, Agents of Yesterday uh, are fantastic, so they're, they're, they're wonderful. Now, shall we move on to, uh, to the 30th anniversary of TNG? Do you have anything planned? Something a little more timely, perhaps? Uh, hopefully we can get the image up. So uh, you've seen some TNG things kind of sprinkled throughout uh, the year so far for, uh, for STO. Uh, if we could just scoot forward on the slides. We've got a couple of giveaways planned for, uh, for September. So the oft-asked-for for the last seven and a half years, Scant, yes! which is very exciting, and the Type 7 shuttle. Both of those will be given away for free during the, uh, during the TNG celebration, which is super, super exciting for us. Um, skits! Um, in addition to uh, the free giveaways, uh, we're going to be releasing um, a Galaxy Class interior that has been completely modeled from scratch. Um, the team did a fantastic job. The environment team has been doing a fantastic job on this. Um, you'll see a few of them out. Nick, uh, you'll see them around, and Donnie, and some of those guys. Um, so we'll be flipping through some of these, uh, some of these slides. They've been just going to painstaking efforts running through different episodes on DVDs and online just to kind of get every angle. It's been a total project of love for all the environment artists to touch this thing. Um, everyone's been so excited about building it from like, I mean, I, I can honestly say from the very first day they were hired, this is like a passion project for everybody. Yeah, everyone's been talking quality about it. The quality of it is amazing. It's, it's funny, well, Donnie, I found out that on his own at home, he's been modeling in 3D these just for years. Wow. And so now he's doing it in the game. Now he's being paid. Now, are you guys taking like blueprints? Like, do you have access to the to the to the blueprints from the original series and how they were constructed, and then do you work off that? It's a combination of that and just painstakingly going um, frame by frame in lots of uh, episodes and taking <laughs> screenshots and comparing because the the bridges and, and and all the interiors actually change from season to season as well. So it was like, well, which one do we want to do? Do we want to do the season three, you know, uh, ten forward, or do we want to do the season one? Like it was it was a lot of back and forth, and um, it's a lot of yeah, just. Folders and folders and folders of images and yeah. sort of Nick spent, Nick spent a couple of weeks just running through episodes. Poor Nick, uh, <laughs> checking out all of, and pulling together uh, reference so that way when everyone else came through, they had everything they needed. <coughs> well, speaking of the celebration, do we have? Can we play it? So we've got a we've got a little reveal trailer here for season fourteen, and there might be a little tease of something that's coming for uh, next gen celebration as well. So. This role. Proud to announce that LeVar Burton has signed with Cryptic Studios. Uh, and so he's going to be our headline actor for season 14. Uh, but not only that, we are making a special extra episode that will be airing before season 14 that also features LeVar Burton. That is kind of a TNG themed episode. I don't know if we're going to have the, uh, the art up. But the name of the episode is Beyond the Nexus. So that should be uh, pretty exciting that, for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a very 
TNG episode. There are a couple of moments in there. It's like, man, this is exactly like the show. It's just, That's it's just really cool. So let's talk a little bit about having LeVar Burton on. I mean, you guys have had already several veteran actors from Star Trek come on and, and do voice work, Absolutely. adding to the immersion. What what was it like to have what, Did he come into the studio? He hasn't come in yet. He hasn't, oh, yet. So he's all signed, ready to go. Nice. But as we're finalizing everything, getting the season squared away, um, he'll be coming in in uh, just about three weeks. Wow. Um, so it's going to be really exciting because we've been kind of building a lot of content for him and we can hear his voice. He has a very classic voice. You can kind of hear it in your head as you read all of his dialogue. Uh, so I'm really excited. How badly do you guys geek out when they come in? Oh, pretty, pretty badly. Yeah. I mean, even when we're not in the house, I'll, I'll sneak over to the uh, audio land to kind of put my ear against the door just to hear him like, ooh, they're doing it. Now, have you had a chance to speak with him? Is he receptive? Is he excited to come in and, and do these things? It seemed like he was pretty excited. I've been speaking mainly with his agent, mm -hmm. um, but he seemed like he was pretty excited. He was uh, he signed on pretty quickly, which was uh, which is always a good sign. They were really responsive. So um, I'm looking forward to... Uh, actually hearing his, his voice work. Now, if he reads the script and he says something like, uh-uh, Jordy doesn't say it that way, are you guys, what do you guys do? Do you guys, do you, do you take that, that, that feedback and... Oh, yeah. That right? happens on the fly. Yeah. Um, Robert Ricardo actually took some liberties with his character, with our lines, and so that means that we just have to go back and make sure we update the text to match what they say. Okay. Um, it happens, it definitely happens from time to time. It's like, ah, my character will probably say it this way. So, <laughs> it's always interesting to kind of get their take on it. So, now, in the design process, in the, in the production process, how much planning for the storytelling revolves around actors that you can manage to book, uh, especially for these special event episodes? Almost all of it. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's pretty crazy. When, when we go back to something like um, Delta Rising, right, we look at all that Voyager cast, uh, we had planned for so long, like, okay, so we're going to have two back here, we're going to have seven back here, we're gonna... and then we're slowly signing people, like, ooh, what if this person doesn't sign, what if Garrett doesn't sign, well, I guess we have to cut this, and how do we figure it out? Fortunately, we are able to sign everyone we wanted, but actors play a huge role. Um, we usually plan our stories about 18 months in advance, and we kind of earmark who we want, but we'll typically pick two or three people that we think could fill the role that's required for that story. Um, so if we can't get one person, hopefully we can get another or another, so we have a few backups. But we always have uh, some room for who we want to get. Wonderful. Now, when is the date of this anniversary episode? Uh, this well, The TNG anniversary, the TNG. it's yep. dropping in September. Uh, I believe it's September 12th, but it's definitely in September. All right, awesome. So now let's, um, actually, one quick reminder. If you are here and you have not yet received a voucher, uh, the coupon code, the code for an in-game item, make sure you see somebody from Cryptic Studios because that also gives you the chance to uh, win a special prize that we'll be doing during Q&A. Um, so let's talk about Season 14 now, right? So that's coming up. Uh, tell us about that upcoming season and, and some of the systems and mechanics that, that are going to be introduced. Absolutely. So we have... Um we're introducing a new fleet holding with that, uh, with that season, and you kind of got a little tease on it in the trailer. And it's a little bit different than the other holdings that we've had in the past. So this is going to be the first holding since the very first holding that's going to be a full five tiers of progression. Um, and it's a giant, expansive exterior map um, on that planet that you kind of got a glimpse on in the trailer. Um, if we had some of the images going, you could see them. Um, is on a huge island. It's kind of alien and tropical. It's like an archipelago, sort of an alien. Yeah, it's an archipelago planet. So it's a planet of islands with huge seas. Um, and so this is on a huge kind of U-shaped island. We, internally, we call it the croissant because it's kind of shaped <laughs> like a croissant. Um, and you'll have a, a fairly large base in the middle that you'll be building up over time along with some facilities along the kind of arms of the croissant. Uh, but there's plenty of space to kind of 
move around and explore and maybe we can talk about the art a little bit. Yeah, so um, in the trailer, it's basically a sort of a joint um, <laughs> colony between the Lucari and the Kentari. It's their, it's their, they're sort of trying to reu reunify their people. And so um, for art, it's been kind of a challenge because we, we're trying to um, unify the visual language of the Lucari and the Kentari because they, as you know, if you played the previous episodes, they're kind of polar opposites of each other, right? The Lucari are much more sort of green energy and the Kentari are just kind of like, you know, um, what is it, like... Industrial. Industrious, yeah, and so sort of, they sort of just kind of use up everything. So this is them trying to basically learn off uh, from each other and sort of um, work together. And so we're constantly trying to kind of combine those two languages. Um, and uh, as you sort of progress through the colony, you'll sort of see more and more of their tech sort of come alive. So it's pretty cool. Now, for players who... People in the audience who may not be players of the game yet, because it's free to play, guys. You should definitely download it on PS4, Xbox, or PC. What is a fleet holding, and what does that mean for a player? So, uh, in other games, you can make guilds or clans. In Star Trek Online, you make fleets. Fleets can be as many as uh, as few as five, and as many as five hundred of your closest friends. Uh, and you team up, and you kind of work together, building. Uh, it's almost like fleet housing, right? You can build a starbase or a dilithium mine, a colony world uh, now, and it's full of awesome rewards for you and your fleet. Um, so it's a kind of an exciting spot to hang out, and there's also a lot of useful stuff you get out of it. Um, and we're kind of taking that useful stuff to the next level with this colony holding. Um, so normally there are uh, little things you have to add in a project in order to make the uh, project kick off and, and progress. Um, we're actually adding uh, natural resources to the holding on the exterior that are part of what you have to do. So you go out and you get those resources and you bring them back. Um, and that's what you use as part of your uh, inputs to upgrade your holding. So you're kind of actually using the place that you're at in order to uh, progress. And then another really interesting thing, uh, and something that we've never really done before, uh, players will have the ability to uh, start off a project and get the ability to kick off an event on their own map um, that's a combat event that, uh, that up to 20 people that the fleet can hold can participate in at any one time. So it'll give the fleet control over running um, an event for themselves. Wow, that's, that's awesome. That is really cool. Now this sounds, it's a ground map. Um, and for, again, for players that, uh, or people who may be new to the game, there are really two games in one. You have your space and your ground. Yep. How large is this ground map? For instance, you introduced in you know, New Romulus, which was massive. In comparison, how, how does this new fleet holding? It's not as big as New Romulus. Not as big? Okay. <laughs> New Romulus is huge. We learned that lesson. We learned that lesson. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a huge map. But it's still um, a pretty large map. It'll probably take you probably three or four minutes to run from one edge of the croissant all the way around. Yeah, I would say it's probably the size of like a standard kind of featured episode map for a ground map. It's pretty, yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty huge. There's going to be lots of little nooks and crannies to explore. Um, and we're kind of looking at some of those little features now. A little hydroponics bay. Um, you know, the main facility, got some uh, solar areas. It's, it's really cool. There's also these awesome uh, coral reefs that look amazing. Our environment team's kind of going all out. Oh, good for them. Now, what kind of events might be, or cues might be introduced with uh, Season 14? So we have uh, a space queue, right? Kind of a, a standard, and these are all fleet queues, so if different fleet members can participate in them. Um, kind of an invasion on uh, the planet from a variety of different species. Uh, but then we have a ground queue that we're all pretty excited about. Uh, for a long time, we've heard that there's no Zinketi ground queue. So there's going to be a Zinketi invasion ground queue on this map. Um, and you're going to be defending the beaches of your island uh, 
you know, your island base against hordes of Zinkepi that are coming in. Um, I don't want to spoil everything, but there are some very, very cool kind of twists on the standard STO ground encounters that are going to be happening here um, that we're all really excited about. Sometimes, sometimes you're in there and you're working on the whiteboard and you come up with some ideas and everyone's like, yeah, that can work. And sometimes you do it and you're like, this is going to be absolutely amazing. And this was that. So I'm pretty hyped. So what other things are going to be introduced that are going to enhance a player's character, their, their paper doll, and, and enhance their, their skills? So we also have a new uh, primary specialization. Uh, we're, going with the, we're going with the name Miracle Worker. Um, and so, as the kind of name implies, it's engineering-based, and you're, you're going to be Scotty, you're going to be Jordy, you're going to be O'Brien. And the, the kind of theme is that you're making the impossible happen, right? Just like Jordy or any of those guys would make happen. Uh, so we have a variety of different powers. So one of them is destabilize warp core. So you kind of tag an enemy ship, and they're taking a small dot, and if that ship explodes, when that dot is still active, it'll have a second, even larger warp core breach. Um, we have another one that's reroute shields to hull. And so basically you dump all of your shields and all of your shield power for a huge amount of temporary hit points on your hull. Um, and so a lot of the times we're sitting there thinking of these powers, we almost treat the engineers as mad scientists. It's like, hey, Captain Picard, guess what I just did? I turned off all of our shields when we got more hull. It's like, it's like that's great, Jordy. Can we have the shield back? Um, and so that's kind of the direction we're going with it. Uh, we had one that's override rate limiters. So you take a small, uh, a small dot on yourself, but your weapons have no energy cost, and they fire like twice as fast. So you're kind of hurting yourself to do a crazy amount of damage um, at the same time. So uh, that one's also super awesome. There's a lot of really great thematic powers, and it's also been a ton of fun naming them. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, it's all about pushing your, the ship's limits, um, essentially, to, to get like a crazy amount of power. Yeah. Lots of truck no babble. Absolutely. Almost, no joke, for a while, that was the internal name. Like, could we get away with calling this truck no babble? Like, calling the truck no babble? <laughs> But coming up with the names is great. There was one, uh, like, ignore it, right? Like, Zephyr Cocker, like, ignore it. So we have all these great names of these little callbacks. Yeah, with luck, I've saved those notes to release at a later date. Yeah, um, they're really good. Because sometimes we actually start with naming things and then come up with what the power will be. Yeah. I tried to do one that was, like, reroute power from life support. So, like, you would just all be dying on your ship, but you know, you didn't need those guys. Well, you go super fast. You go right. super fast. Yeah. It's totally worth it. <laughs> dead weight, dead weight. Just... Yeah. Oh, that's a good one, too. <laughs> Write that down somewhere. So, now, for potential players, what is a specialization? How does it work in terms of maybe comparing it to a conventional MMO or other MMOs? Sure. So, Star Trek Online has a, a few different types of endgame, right? We've got the fleet holdings, which we talked about. Um, we have reputations, where uh, you're kind of earning reputation to fight a specific enemy group, so maybe the Borg or the, or the Romulans or um, the Zinkethi or whoever it might be. And then we also have specializations. So... This is where you're kind of leveling up and you're earning XP. Um, and when you reach endgame, you're earning a point instead of leveling up because you've already reached the max level. And you can take that point and you can spend it on an interesting passive ability. And so there's a, a huge passive ability tree and you can fill the whole thing out. So every decision makes a good decision. You don't have to be like, oh, but I wanted that one, but I bought this one. Um, and then typically uh, there are ships that tie in with those specializations that have special bridge officer powers um, that are themed as well. Now, again, for players, potential players, you don't play by yourself. You are a captain, and you control your crew. 
what you just called bridge officers. Tell us a little bit about that and, and possibly any potential new powers that we might be seeing. Well, I talked about a couple uh, of those powers already, but for bridge officers, so you don't have, yourself, you don't have powers, right? Your ship doesn't have powers. Your bridge officers have skills. They have things that they know how to do. Like Mr. Worf fired Torpedo Salvo, and he beep, boop, beeps, and he fires, you know, three to five torpedoes, and he did a good job. So in Star Trek Online, you have a ship, and you can equip between five and seven bridge officers to that ship, and they have specific abilities that then you can trigger while you're flying your ship. And so who you select as your bridge officers and which powers they have uh, is of critical importance to how your ship flies and, and its uh, survivability. Now, one of the, the starring features of Star Trek Online are your featured episodes, right? The ability to continue the story 30 years after Nemesis. Yep. Which is, I'm going to argue, is canon. I'm going to say Star Trek Online is canon. Much appreciated. What, um, Don't tell CBS. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what kind of featured episodes are we going to get a featured episode in season 14? And tell us about it, if at all. Uh, so, yeah, you're definitely getting a featured episode with season 14. The current uh, name internally, it may change, is Melting Pot. Um, so just a few weeks before, you're going to be getting uh, the Geordi episode, the TNG episode. Then you'll be getting Melting Pot. And Melting Pot is kind of ties in with the theme of the colony. It's the Lucari and the Kintari, right? We kind of, a couple uh, future episodes ago, they kind of found their, old, their new home world, and they're destroying things again, a little bit of civil animosity. And so this is them saying... This is them saying, we're going to try and team up. Let's see if we can reunify. So uh, sometime when we weren't paying attention, potentially during brush fire, um, they found a planet that was completely uninhabitable, a mess. They shot a uh, protomatter device at it and built this tropical paradise. And now they're coming here and they're saying, let's, let's start again. Let's blend our technology. Let's not poison our planet. And let's reunify our peoples. Awesome. And so uh, this is kind of you showing up and seeing how far they've met and, you know, meeting up with Kamarki and meeting up with Jordy, who's kind of the, the chief engineer, the chief liaison who's helping them construct this, uh, this facility. And uh, we definitely continue the Zinkethi storyline, and there's a, a major reveal we've been kind of teasing and building towards for quite some time in this episode. So you spoilers. No, I won't spoil it. Don't yeah. worry. Don't worry. I'll, I'll get in trouble with myself if I spoil it. So when can players expect season 14? October of this year. Ooh. Nice, nice. A great fall surprise. It is. All right, now before we start taking questions, we have a very special guest joining us, a talented actor who really embodies the very nature of what it means to be a Klingon. Star Trek's Martok, actor J.G. Hertzler. Hello, everyone. Um, I'm LeVar Burton, <laughs> and the makeup backstage is incredible. Well, welcome. Thank you for joining us. How's it going, John? Take a seat. My pleasure. Uh, well, shall we, why don't we all just stand I'm awkwardly okay. for the rest of this interview? That sounds great. That sounds good. That's i got to get my Fitbit steps in it. I'll go over here. <laughs> JJ, tell us, tell us what Star Trek means to you. Uh, money in the bank. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> Star Trek. When I auditioned for for uh, Star Trek for the Klingon, it was uh, I, I, actually, I actually auditioned for uh, uh, Golden Cock like three times, four times, and they picked him. Um, not, not you. In fact, you look like Jeremy Renner. Every time I was looking at, at, at backstage, I said, "Is that Jeremy Renner?" That's a huge compliment, thank you. Doesn't he? Yeah. You, you should uh, you should do some film work. You know what I'm saying? Maybe like a stunt double or something. Yeah. No, no, no. Film work. Um, 
As a side job, you're an incredible artist. You know, besides that. Did I say I was LeVar Burton, by the way? I am. I'm also running. Oh, what is Star Trek? Star Trek has given me a platform to run for Congress. Does anybody know I'm running for Congress? I'm actually, I'm actually a filed. Uh, you have to file with the Federal Election Commission in D.C. to be a legitimate candidate. And I filed June 7th, made my announcement June 8th, as Mark Twain. I'm bringing Mark Twain in to basically be the spokesperson for me, but I'm doing my own spokesperson, so I don't have any Sean Spicer problems. You know what I mean? <laughs> Trump should be his own spokesperson. <laughs> he is anyway, you know, but... Um, Star Trek really uh, has given me. Uh, I, I, my uh, Deep Space Nine ended 18 years ago, right? 1999. My, is my uh, just yesterday. My math correct? Just yesterday. Um, and I've been able to go all over the world because Gene Roddenberry sold an idea to Lucille Ball. You know, so Star Trek is an amazing thing. Uh, I I actually don't know why it is. Can, I'm sure that one of you can explain why Star Trek hits the very soul of people around the world. I mean, from New Zealand to Germany to the U.S. to Canada to, to Spain to uh, Bob and I uh, fought with baguettes on Bob O'Reilly. And I fought with baguettes on stage in Paris, um, <laughs> speaking in English to a French audience that was all being, uh, all our jokes were being interpreted. That's a, that's a very sad moment. Um, but uh, it, it does. It, 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 Roddenberry had something very special that connected with the human condition that nobody else has matched. People have come close. But nothing like Star Trek. Why is that? I think it's hope. Yes. That we'll hope. figure it all out. We're not going to kill each other and the whole planet's going to be a glowing mess. We're going to figure it out. We're going to move forward. Everyone's getting along. And we're just going to explore the galaxy together. Yeah, someone hope. I follow on Twitter, and an author said that he really likes Star Trek because it gives him hope for a world where we're no longer on Facebook. Mm. <laughs> I'm not. So I, I, I'm like, I like Facebook. Facebook has been very good to me. <laughs> um... What author said authors? Well, what names? Come on, I'm LeVar Burton. What author are you talking about? I think it was Sam Sykes. <laughs> Sam. He's yeah, a... he'd, he'd say something like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, JG, you continue to. Oh, sorry. You, uh, that's okay. That's I forgot right. about you. I, that's this right. is my bad eye here, so I have to turn all the way this way. <laughs> you continue to inspire, and by doing that, by reprising your role as Martok in a game like Star Trek Online, how easy is it for you to kind of. Get back into those shoes. All you do is get, you put on the shoes and you're back there. I mean, I, I was... Uh, I, I've never done a character... Actors don't usually get to do a character for four or five years, unless you're a regular on a series and you can do seven years, or what was Cheers on for 47 years? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you get a chance to be able to work on the same character, and when you do that, it really becomes part of you, so it's not really putting anything on it's up there I'm, he's already inside me um, and uh, I loved I, I, of course I wanted to be Golden Cop but um, no I'm, glad, I'm so glad I wasn't and I'm so glad that Mark is um, because Martok has become a great friend of mine and uh, I love I don't know what it is about him but he's, he, he's got something that I wish I had more of as a human being um, 
the Klingons get to operate on the very edge, uh, a very extreme edge of human behavior, or I should say humanoid behavior. Um, and that gives us a great deal of license. But it also means also, uh, they say truth will set you free, Klingons will set you free. Um, but... Uh, well, you were actually set free in the, in the, the story that we, we just played in Star Trek. I was actually so, set free, yes. So what, when you read, when they presented the script to you, how much of it was kind of, let me rephrase the question. Did you provide any feedback and say something like, you know what, no, I don't think Martok would say this, or? I got to say it was so well written. The, the possibilities for responses and things were so well written. I never, I don't think I ever said that. Is that? No, I don't think you know. And I remember sneaking by when you started recording. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, Martok. I mean, I couldn't see you because you're in the right. booth and I could hear you. I was like, Martok's here. It was so great. And, Mar and Martok was there. I, I, uh, I was, uh, it was on the page. That's why I said about writers. Uh, it's so, th this is incredibly well written. The game is, and the um, the writers on DS9. Ron Moore, you know, is is Ron Moore working with you guys? What, have, I don't, have you, not have working with me, that's him? for sure. No, we, we we thought we thought about having uh, one of the one of the famous writers kind of pin an episode for us, but that hasn't happened yet. Even yeah, even something smaller than that, they would. I think. Well, Ira Bear's going to be here, right? Why don't you talk to Ira? Is is Ron Moore here too? Yeah. Is he here? Yeah. Would you talk to him for, for us? <laughs> Ron Moore will be here. You know, I gotta say, I don't know if you've heard the reception from your reprisal in the role in Star Trek Online, but... I live in upstate New York. The, I don't hear anything. <laughs> players and, and the community absolutely love it. it. It has been so well received. Your performance was phenomenal. So thank you for joining Star Trek Online. People but let's it. talk about me. Yes. <laughs> yes. Hey. <laughs> thank you, guys. I, uh, I appreciate it. I, I tried to bring as much of my dad into the role of Martok as I could, actually. Because my, my father passed away... John's father passed away uh, before I did any of this in the theater. Anyway, I was a football player at Bucknell University, and uh, I was a. Uh, I do look like Mark Twain. There I am. It's not terrifying. You know, politicians. The thing about politicians, politicians need to um, be changed frequently, like diapers, um, uh, be, for the same reason. Um, anyway, I love doing that. I love being my own spokesman. Yeah, I couldn't afford a spokesman, so I'm paying myself. Wonderful. And now I'm on strike. Um, what am I saying? What was I? Well, we, we were thanking you. Really thanking you. On behalf of the community, everybody loved you. Oh. Reprising as Martok. And speaking of the community, I think it's time for us to take some uh, some Q and A. Oh, good. Questions. Uh, now, remember, if you have not already received a code. Uh, from one of the cryptic staff, make sure you get it because you might uh, get a chance to win a few cool things. So we have microphones on either side here. What we're just going to do one side? Oh, thank you. And I approve this book. Can you read that as Mark? Can you read that as? Yeah, I, yeah this is. Uh, I'm J.G. Hertzler, and I approve this bookmark. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. All right, we have a question coming up. Uh, this is for G.T. How are you? Uh, prepare yourself to be more, uh, more talk and get in the mindset to play more, more talk. 
I I used to be a I was in college I played an outside linebacker. So I think I'm suffering severely from too many head wounds. But besides that, I've I've often said that I I think Klingons are basically a race of linebackers. Um, <laughs> we do we work very hard. My, for myself, I I consider myself a blue collar actor, you know, because I've never made a great deal of money. Uh, I I have no nobody in my family has anything to do with the performing arts at all. So I got into this almost by mistake uh, in an audition for South Pacific, as a matter of fact, in a dinner theater years ago. But I've been an actor for 45 years. So when I started doing Martok, I'd been an actor for about 30 years. That's the preparation to do a, a character, to be to be in the art of creating a persona, of creating a a, um, a character. If you can spend that many years preparing for something, and I didn't know I was preparing for Martok. I thought I was preparing for another Shakespearean role, which I've done all my life. No, no show and probably no game uh, uses as many Star Trek actors uh, that, as Star Trek. They, they, they don't use as many classically trained actors. Rene Aubergenois, you know Rene. Rene is the greatest theatrical farceur in the American theater, and he's been that for decades. He's a brilliantly trained and a wonderful and a unique man. He's a wonderful, wonderful actor. But it's really spending your life as a professional, training in the theater arts. That's that's how I prepared mentally for Martok. Thank you. I think the bird has a question. <laughs> There's a bird. There's a yeah. Oh, catch it. No. <laughs> how about we take this gentleman over here? Thank you for your question. Yes. Wanted to know if uh, Axamar is ever going to come out. And Star Trek Online, by the way, there's a, a line for a, a possible storyline for you. JG? Uh, we're not associated with the, with the show Axanar or the, anything that was going on there, uh, with the exception of the name that exists in the IP. So we don't have any plans to put that in the game right now. No, but th th yes, there are incredible numbers of opportunities for me with Cryptic Studios. I keep telling them that. Now, if they will only listen to me. Uh, but anyway, no. Axonar was a prelude to Axonar. We did it 20 minutes, 20, yes, 20 minute piece. And they might be doing two more shorts, but because of the dispute with um, CBS, you know, there's not going to be any more, uh, uh, no, no feature like events on that. Thank you for your question. Why don't we come back over here? Hey guys, good morning. How you doing? Good morning. So I was walking through the vendor room and I saw the new uh, STL and it looks really good. And there's your bird. <laughs> say everybody say hi to the bird. Look at you. Look at you. Elijah's like a Disney princess. <laughs> so, so I tried playing STO way back when it first came out. And no offense, but it just didn't do it for me. But I play these games by myself. I don't play with other players. And away missions were kind of like slow and boring and hard for one person by himself. So I kind of just quit. I gave up. Is the new game 
Is it better for one person to play by himself, or are you still required to have a ton of friends to do it well? Can you play through it by yourself? We have a wide variety of players who like different types of gameplay, but I would say most of our players actually do play by themselves. I find that a lot of our players like to be the captains of their own adventure. And so you've got your bridge officers that kind of come with you. They're AI guys. You can equip them and give them weapons and things. Um, but no, you, you should be able to run through completely solo. And if you haven't played since we launched, it's, it's like STO3 right now. Like We've made so many updates over the last seven and a half years. I definitely recommend just downloading it for free and giving it another shot. And if I jump back in, do I have to go back to the very beginning again, or do I start somewhere different? You don't have to, but you may want to, because we've changed literally everything since you, probably, since you last played. All right, thanks, I, I'm very much a player first, among all, among all things, and my co-host here, Kenna, she very much enjoys playing by herself. The game absolutely supports that. Uh, and like Steven said, you put yourself in that captain persona, and you play by yourself, and the storytelling, especially the ones that you might have played early, have been remastered and retold. I, I highly advise it. As a fellow player, try it again. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, guys. Wonderful. Thank you. All right, nobody on this side. Next question. Okay. I was wondering about issues of scale in the game, uh, whether from inconsistencies in the canon you're drawing from, or issues with it being an MMO, and you want to have a great big space for people to move around in, and how much the artists angst back and forth on where to draw the line. Yeah, thank you. Um, so that's a great question, uh, and it's actually one that we have to um, battle with quite regularly. Um, for example, like something um, like you saw the galaxy interior, right? Uh, we know exactly how wide that hallway is from schematics and things like that, but when we put that in the game and we start running around with the character, it starts to feel like small, for example, right? It's really claustrophobic. It's really claustrophobic. I think it has to do with the camera um, being behind the player and um, sort of the fact that you can control the camera is the, is the biggest deal because on set, everything is locked down and you, know, you, know, you can change lenses and things like that and make things look bigger than they really are. So uh, in, our, uh, in our sort of field, gameplay comes first all the time um, and we try to stay as close to canon as, as, as possible without making the experience frustrating for the player. So um, if we do have to scale a hallway up by like, you know, 20%, 30% to make it feel better when you're running around, we absolutely do that. We don't hesitate um, because it's most important that the player has a good time. Um, they will feel that it's canon um, just because, you know, we, we, we dress up the set so well. So thank you for your question. Thank you. Thank you. Now, unfortunately, we don't have time for, uh, for any more questions because we want to give some stuff away. So why don't we go ahead and do that now? Everybody receive that uh, that code and that uh, flyer, and on that flyer, there is a little colored sticker on it, right? I didn't get the flyer. Where do you get the code? We, we, uh, come down this way, and a cryptic uh, staff member will be able to give you that code. Okay? So, we have five winners. Oh, everybody's running. Oh, oh goodness. All right. If you meet them over there, if you have a voucher, with a red star, you will win an STLV exclusive Star Trek Online t-shirt. Ooh, I thought it was the game. <laughs> All right, and then if your, if your voucher has blue stars, then you will receive a t-shirt and an attack wing set from WizKids. That's epic. And the grand prize winner one silver star will win the t-shirt, an attack wing set from WizKids, and a limited edition Star Trek online poster autographed by the developers. Woo. 
All right, so if you won them, find, find one of the cryptic staff. If you don't get to do it now, you can visit them at the booth. But I think it's about all the time that we have. So again, I want to thank Stephen Ricosa, Maria Rosso, Michael Panov, and J.G. Hertzler. So after the panel, we had a chance to sit down with Al Captain Gecko Rivera, and we also sat down with Jeremy Bordicus Randall to expand on some of what we heard. We'll give you those two interviews back to back. Enjoy. Security clearance level three or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Cisco. Authorization Cisco Alpha One Alpha. Logs accessed. Captains, we are here in Star Trek Las Vegas, and sitting with us is Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al, Captain Gecko Rivera. Now, we just finished the big announcement panel on the main stage at Creations Convention, and we have a lot to talk about and a lot to ask because Season 14 sounds amazing. Mm -hmm. So we've put together some questions to kind of dig a little deeper into what might be going on in the upcoming season. So why don't we go ahead and get started, right? Let's, let's run through a little bit of a check, right? We yep. have a featured episode, right? Check. Feature episode. Great. Yes. A new fleet holding. There, there is a feature episode, and just to be clear, there's a feature episode, I believe, will be coming out before season 14. Right. In September. There's a, feature, there's a, there's a pre-14 featured episode and a season, and a season 14 featured episode. Okay. Great. Right. We have a new fleet holding. New check. fleet holding. Check. New bridge officer powers. Check. Yes. A new captain specialization. Check. Yes. And finally, a new initiative for introducing content to the game, right? Check. Right, check. All right. So, so we'll go through some of these and we'll, 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 we'll get into as much detail as we can. Cool. And, uh, did you check pants? Uh, we got pants. Pants are optional. Pants, pants, pants are optional, even, optional at, even at Vegas. 14. Okay. Even yeah. at Vegas. <laughs> So Star Trek Online has a long history of filling in the story kind of behind underdeveloped species and events that are uh, canon uh, or on screen. Right. Uh, the Preservers, the Iconians, the Voth, so on. Uh, what made you think of using the Zenkethi as a new enemy? So this actually goes back quite a while, probably even back to some of our early Star Trek Online development when we were talking about what we were going to do with the game. Um, Zenkethi had come up. Uh, this, I think the Zenkethi came up originally as one of our optional super big bad when we were deciding, is it going to be the Iconians, is it going to be the Zenkethi, was it, um, uh, I can't remember, one, one more race that where uh, Riker was tested against the Ferengi when we first entered Ferengi, now the name, the name of that race um, completely escapes me right now, I apologize. So we were looking for um, big races that were big bad. That that had been mentioned that weren't that were off screen that we could kind of do something different with right. um, that was mysterious, right? Yeah. So, uh, so obviously we picked the Iconians for, for our main story. Yeah. And so we had these other ones that we wanted to get to at some point, and um, Zinkethi always interested me. If we look back at Zinkethi, I mean they were mentioned only a couple times on screen, and then they were they were. I think the original creator, uh, one of the writers, talked about what they were, that they were armored lizards is what he had said yeah, that they yeah, were. Yeah. Uh, and then there were some soft cannon uh, books where they said they were kind of beautiful, fluid-filled, bioluminescent creatures, right. so completely different than what had yeah. been mentioned. Although, to be fair, it wasn't seen or talked about on screen. Yeah. So um, that's kind of where we started with that. And 
and if you notice, doesn't Kathy have bioluminescence on there as a touchstone to yeah. what was in the novels? Yeah. Um, and that's something that I wanted to get in there and worked out really hard. And so, and having something that was, uh, you know, this big giant armor lizard that gave us a very different profile than what we've seen before. They weren't human. We'll see what we could do with it. We gave them four arms, and you know, yeah. that's that's that's. Uh, and we worked hard at kind of just figuring out their history, their biology, their history. Um, and uh, what's what's their motivation? And a lot of that will still come come uh, come clear over yeah. the coming months. Yeah. Um, there's some really good in-depth uh, Zinkethi uh, featured episode coming up that'll be really I think people find really really interesting. Yeah, because that was one of the things that we talked about when uh, when on this show we talked about the last featured episode. Because I was trying to figure out where we're going, and yeah. I mean I don't uh, obviously I can't figure out the end of the story because then I would be doing your job um, but you know I was uh, I wanted to kind of feel where we were heading and it sounds like we've got some some more great storytelling all around the Zen Cathy and and uh, leading up to something big yeah well there's definitely something going on we know we know a little bit now what's yep. going on there yep. they're they're exterminating worlds planets moons whatever yeah um, we know that they're um, focusing on these these things, yeah, right, and so we know a little bit about that. We've had a few over this last year since October that's been telling the story. We've had a few opportunities to tell kind of one-off stories, mm -hmm. um, which kind yep. of took us away a little bit from the main story, the the, the Sela episode, and yep. to some degree the the Martok story, which is kind of a it, it touches the Zinkathi arc, but for the most part, it's it's telling his story. Yes, so that yeah. kind of takes off a little bit off a off track of the main arc, but I think they were important to tell. Um, as, as we'll probably talk about certain, you know, soon we've got mm -hmm. LeVar Burton, which spoil your questions. Well, um, yeah, that will be that will be kind of that will be kind of tangential as well. It'll be a LeVar Burton because it's you know a TNG story, but it will touch into our main arc and it everything kind of flows in. I think about like a line where like story to story to story. These these other ones are outside and they kind of they're kind of flowing in, touching tangentially to the main story. Yeah, well, you, you did mention before, well, we, we were talking about the fact that, we, you know, for the new season, we're going to have a new featured episode when the new season comes out. Right. And then we also said there's going to be a, a new featured episode just before right. the new season. And this is what you were talking yeah, about. So yeah. tell us a little more about the, the, the featured episode that we can see sort of as the little precursor right. exactly. to the new season. So as we announced, we've, we've, uh, we have LeVar Burton. Mm -hmm. uh, we're reprising his role as, as, as Jordy LaForge. He'll be a captain. So without saying too much, we talked a little, we showed, we showed a lot of the images. We showed a lot of beautiful images of the Galaxy Class Interior all redone. Yep. And so there'll be a very, very TNG style episode. Featuring, <laughs> featuring, uh, you know, featuring, featuring Jordy yep. and the interior of a Galaxy-class ship, nice. and you're going to be doing stuff with him. And he's going to be doing amazing engineering-type stuff, right. and uh, it will, it'll be a Jordy story, and then it will tie, and then it will kind of tie in a little bit. It'll kind of kickstart our season 14 a little bit. Good, excellent. And, and then this, we'll see him again in season 14. And this is a one-off. It's similar in vein to where we did Survivor with right. um, Sila yeah. and a little bit of right. uh, Tasha Yar as well. So it's going to be yeah. something similar to that. It's 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 really hard because we want to do a huge story arc, mm. but we have all these one-off stories that we want to tell. Yes. Right? And the Sila one we had, as I may have mentioned last time, uh, one time I was on, that we had actually 
planned that and wrote that a long time ago yeah. and actually recorded it a long time ago. Um, and we just wanted to find the right place to, to put it. And during the during the anniversary of TNG this year, it seemed like the right place to release it. Mm -hmm. So people have wanted to see these like one-off stories. They keep talking, oh, I want, I want to see a Ferengi story. I want to see I want to see yep. a Cardassian story. I want to see these things. And, and they're not always easy to get to shoehorn into the main story. Yeah, because so they still have to make sense. They still have to make yeah. sense. So so this so this arc, we've during this arc over the last year, We've been doing a few one-offs um, and trying to tie them at least tangentially. That's kind of how the show would do it, right? You might have a Deep Space Nine story arc and then all of a sudden be a story about yeah. Quark and getting, or, or Nog getting a desk for the captain or something. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and, and in the background, we know the war is still going on and that yeah. sort of thing. And so that's kind of how we approached and we wanted to try that to see if we could tell a few other one-off stories, mm. um, but still stay true that there is still stuff going on with the Zinkethi arc and the Zinkethi crusade that's... Um, that's going to lead to something very big. It's going to be um, very. I think it's going to people will be very uh, will, um, be surprised, mm -hmm. and it will. Um, and it will then it will really lead into our summer content that we teased at the end. Good. So on the panel, it was announced that we will have a new fleet holding. Now, is it going to be? It is going to be a little different. It's going to be a tier five fleet holding. So it's you have to go through through five tiers to, yeah, it's different. to complete it's five it. Five instead of three. Right. Yeah, so it's much bigger. Will this holding follow the same format as those fleet star bases? For example, a tier five star base costs two hundred and fifty thousand XP to complete. What? Right. How similar or how different will it's, it be? It's going to pretty much be like the star base. It'll be about the same, if not identical. I mean, obviously, the numbers are still. It's still, it's still early, but right mm -hmm. now we're right now we built it to be the same as a tier five, uh, as, though, as though it was your star base. Uh, so it's full size, it's cheap, so it's big. What about gear? Is there any um, discussion on what type of gear will so be available? The, um, the 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 gear will be uh, um, Lucari and Kentari themes, uh, as well as you know Federation and, and Klingon, and you know they'll have the influence in there. Um, it'll be the same amount of gear, the same type of things you might expect from a starbase. Except currently, we don't have a starship. Um, I don't know if we'll eventually add that, but right now, there's, 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 it's not that. So, pretty much, kind of what you would expect to see from a full starbase, you're going to see that kind of level of gear here. Now, Rikosa had mentioned that there would be fleet holding base events, right? Both in space and in ground. One question, for instance, is is the space combat. Can you tell us a little bit more about that. Will it, will it be like current weekend events that we have now for Dilithium Marks, etc.? For 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 the for the, the fleet holding events? Mm -hmm. No, actually, I think we're um, well. There's a couple different things. So there will be um, there will be a new event that will be that will be based on this on this fleet holding. That will be kind of kind of event like like we've seen other events in the past. But there's also going to be a, um, a different kind of event that you're going to be able to trigger as a, you know, as an owner of the fleet, right. which will all be kind of tied in. All of this be tied into the story. So a lot of what we're doing, a lot of what Jordy is going to be involved in, and we'll be bringing back um, Kumarki. Yep. As, as will be all tied. This whole season is tied to what everybody is doing here, and so the featured episode, the fleet holding, the events are all tied to what you're building right and okay. and how that ties into the war and how that ties into the Zinketi. so there'll be there'll be a, there'll be this will be an, a grounds fleet holding not a space fleet holding right and so basically i mean things will be attacking yeah and you're going to be able to and you yeah. can make that happen uh if you can kind of trigger an event and have your fleet deal you know do something on your on that's, your holding that's and awesome have an event on your on, on there and it's just for members of your fleet 
that would be. But we've also yeah. have just other events that other that, that will take place that'll be more Q-like that right, anybody could take place as well. But that'd be different. You know, okay. it, it triggers this question in my mind is, has it been considered the, the, the fact that Klingons and Federation are still kind of separate entities Will they be able to kind of participate in some way with this, like mer in some kind of merger? I know merger? there's always been lots of questions about having fleet and Klingon, uh, Starfleet and Klingons be in the same star base. It's something that I've wanted to do for a long time. I hope to be able to get that. It's certainly not, uh, nothing on the immediate horizon, but um, no, we wouldn't be able to, to do that yet. So one of the other things that we talked about in the panel was that there's going to be a new primary specialization, um, and it's called, refresh my memory, it's called Miracle Worker. It's called Miracle Worker, Yeah, right. which is a great name, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Uh, it, can you tell us a little bit more about it? Well, it is a great name, and it, because it, it's, um, it's one that we had to go with, because right now, if, of course, if you're an engineer, you have a power called Miracle Worker, and so players will, when they log in soon, actually that name's going to be retconned out and renamed, so that power will no longer be called Miracle Worker. Okay. I forgot what we renamed it to, but we're renaming it first before we release the spec. Yeah. Um, and um, so we don't have that switch at the exact same time. And then the new primary spec is Miracle Worker. It's obviously an engineering-themed um, specialization. And as you'll probably notice, then a lot of season 14 is engineering themes, right? right? We've got Geordi coming on board. Yes. You're going to have engineering specs. Um, all the powers are kind of reminiscent of things that you've seen Geordi and Miles and, and Scotty do mm -hmm. as miracle-working engineers. Yes. So there's a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of the names of the powers are things that you, crazy things that they would do to jury-rig the ship. This is like when you're when you're in an episode and you're deep in it and you're like, we can't get out of this, and then suddenly somebody calls from, up from engineering and and throws a little techno babble at you right. and, and Picard goes, make it so. Exactly. That's basically what you'll be doing that, now. That, that's basically yeah. what the spec is, right? Awesome. So, so that's what that's about. And so, so that's what uh, it's a heavy engineering theme um, season. So probably you'll see ships that'll be heavily engineering themes mm -hmm. uh, coming out around that time um, to kind of support that spec, right? You know, as we were talking about Lavar and, and the shows and canon, the needs of the many book series that came out from Star Trek Online beforehand was pretty stuck pretty well with what happened in the countdown series leading up to the JJ timeline split. Are you still honoring that? Like is is this the Geordi that we know of that built the the the, the Red Matter ship? It is the Geordi that built the Red Matter ship. It's the Geordi that rebuilt B4. It's all right. yeah it's all the same Geordi. It's the Geordi who built the jellyfish. The so, jellyfish, yeah. Right. So um, yeah all of that all of that is honored. So he's he's older He's, he's, he's got the implant eyes. He doesn't have the visor anymore. He's wearing an Odyssey uniform. Nice. And he'll be captaining a, uh, a, uh, a Galaxy-class ship, right? That's nice. which he'll be on. Nice. So um, and I, I believe it'll be the Challenger, okay. which I think we saw on Voyager. So throughout 2017, we've seen a number of new events like the Arena of Sompek and the Kobayashi Maru. Can we expect to see these events return in the future? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're always trying to build a, a library of events so that way we can rotate them out instead of just having, a, at first we had like one or two, and now we're just, we're going to be able to rotate them out regularly mm -hmm. to keep things fresh and get people interested in coming in all at the same time to play over a weekend or a week and 
Uh, we're playing with the amount of time it might take. You know, how, yeah. what's, the, what's the amount, right amount of time to run these events? Um, we'll try different things. That was one of the questions I was going to ask because they they tend to be just over a weekend, so a real short amount of time. Um, I think there was one that ran for a week or something like that. Is that that's something that you're playing with? What the right amount of time for those events? Yeah, are? you play with it. We put it out, and mm -hmm. then you can kind of watch how often people are playing, and mm -hmm. you want to stop it before it starts petering out, right? It's yeah. kind of like ending a show in its prime. Yeah. You don't you yeah. leave them wanting more. Don't don't end it after it's been completely exhausted. So. You want it, so so we, we we try different times and see and see what pe see what people's response and if they want more oh it's too short yeah. great then I think we ran it a good amount of time because they yeah. want it again so when it plays again they'll be really excited if they play if they played it out when it comes out again like oh yeah I played it before I'll catch it next time yeah right? and what, what's your thinking on that at the moment is it is it pretty consistent that the the ones so far have a an amount of time that they like or does it change depending on whether it's Arena of Sompak or whether it's a, a Space Cube. Well, it does change, but it doesn't mm. change that much. You know, certain events are just more popular than others, right? Yeah. You're probably going to find that the shorter time works better for us, but but people will want it to run for a longer time. Mm -hmm. Just yeah. it just it just will. So, but we'll keep adjusting. I think I think we're probably going to make it a little bit longer than a weekend going forward. But mm -hmm. I don't think I don't know if it'll be a whole week. Okay. Maybe maybe we'll try four days or five days or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think that's fair because one of the things, like for me, for instance, I think I was like many other people had plans that weekend so I missed out on yep. it and I think that I, we got that piece of feedback uh, quite a bit um, what about rewards um, how has the team how's the reception been on the rewards given are is there any consideration in increasing them or decreasing them or managing them differently um, rewards rewards change based on feedback but also based on play sessions if we, we sometimes we release content and we don't know how long or how hard it is for someone to complete something, right? We, 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 we don't know. Like, Crystalline Entity, people were just blazing through that. It was never, I mean, yeah. I've got, I got someone at work, uh, a system designer, who can finish it in 30 seconds. What, yeah. are, what are you doing? I have no without idea. using I, God I, dev powers. Right, without using wow. that. And so he's like really hardcore. He's, he's, he's one of the guys that we base our, uh, you know, our hardcore content on. He's right. not our standard. Yeah. And in our original um, no-win scenario, I think I might have mentioned this a long time ago. The average play time for No In Scenario was nine minutes. But it was yep. nine minutes whether or not you got to wave four or wave 10. Mm -hmm. right? right, right. Yes, <laughs> so, I remember, so I remember you, that discussion. So how do you yeah. balance the amount of rewards to give away for that? Yeah. Um, so that's why that's gone nice. and we built something new. So when people get better at something, they get generally get faster at it. And we try to build our rewards to be based on you know, you want to base it on time spent. Participation right. is a time currency, yeah. right? right? Yeah. But you also want to base it on challenge. And every time we build something, we always go low first. Yeah. Because we want to see, because if we go high, then all of a sudden, oh my gosh, they're getting so many rewards. <laughs> if we take it away, then they're yeah. all mad. Yeah. So we always start low and then we see what the results are and then we can kind of go up from there. Nice. Yeah, nice. Interesting. Okay. So one thing that uh, we didn't cover in the panel and that often comes out with a new season release is a reputation system. Uh -huh. Is there going to be a new reputation system for season 14? Uh, no, season 14 will not have a reputation system. Oh. Um, we, we have our, <laughs> we have all these different systems in the game, right? We've got mm -hmm. reputation system, yep. fleet system, crafting systems. Um, they're all meant to, what we, to be what we call horizontally scalable. Right. So that way we can, we have a system, that way we, in the future we can have another one and mm -hmm. they're retention mechanics or something. Oh, this is something now that I can yeah. strive for and work towards to get yeah. done. There's no need to have two retention mechanics in one release. 
So we have this, this is, we have a fleet system, and that's going to be driving player retention and driving player gameplay. They both take a lot of work to do, so yep. they're, they're designed to say, okay, now we'll do this one because we haven't done a fleet in a while, mm -hmm. give people a little break from reputations, they'll do the fleet stuff, and then, okay. and then after that, then the next, next season or, some, or half season or whatever later on, we'll come up with a reputation. This isn't any kind of um, precursor that reputations are leaving or they're oh, ending no, or it's, 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 no that's, it's of just course a, people will go there i'm <laughs> sure but no no but they're designed they're designed to leapfrog so every so often we do this one and then we do that one do that one because if we did one all the time you know people get burned out and so yeah no we don't we don't need one right now so this is what we'll this will, it'll get your rewards from this content okay great speaking of retention and and keeping players in the game uh, the new endeavor system uh, how has that been how's that been for you guys have you um, really good. There's been a lot of response. I think generally people want more. Mm -hmm. And we we had a much larger Endeavor system planned, but we wanted, let's just see how this goes first, yeah. right? And so generally overall, really positive results on this. I've enjoyed it. A lot of people enjoyed it. So we really want to build on it. And good. I think mm -hmm. we're going to see, see us probably do stuff with it soon. Um, there's a lot of different things we've talked about, um, other challenges to do, tiers of challenges, Maybe whether or not three days is the right amount of days for mm -hmm. for an Endeavor challenge. Uh, some of it's if anyone plays Pokemon Go, you play Pokemon Go. I know you've got the challenge every day. Bird. If you do, would you say Flappy Birds? Are you still going back there? <laughs> no, are you doing? No. Are you going, are going there? Is that where we're going? <laughs> um, so on uh, Pokemon Go, every day you log in, if you do ca first catch in your first mm -hmm. Pokestop, you get a you get a bonus, and every day it gets bigger and gets bigger and mm -hmm. bigger. So we're looking at other systems like that to see nice. what would be uh, how we can build on this. But it was it was a little quick, easy thing we could do. Well, not quick and easy, but quicker mm -hmm. and easier than what we originally planned. And um, the response was really positive, so we're going to build on it. Now I know Winters is as he's listening to this is praying to God that I'm ask I'm going to ask this. What about tying it with? older cues that maybe don't get played very often? Um, we actually have a, uh, a really solid plan of what we're going to be doing about that. Nice. Okay. If you're a Neverwinter fan, if you play Neverwinter online, you see that they're doing some stuff. They have similar, you know, they've had similar, they don't have nearly as many cues as we do, but they have a lot. And so they've got a new system where on Neverwinter, you, you sign up for a package of cues, like five cues, mm -hmm. and then you basically, you get a random one. And then right. if you do that, if you sign up for that, then you get a bonus. Nice. Okay. A bonus time currency, whatever it is that they give away uh, in Neverwinter. Interesting. And so, but you don't get to pick which one it is, but you're going to get a bundle. Nice. And okay. so they rotate those bundles out. And so, so, so everything, so that's been really successful with that. I don't know if we're going to do exactly that, but we're, we're learning stuff from there and we're going to, we're going to do something very similar. We've got, we've got some good plans. So we'll probably see something soon. Oh, that's excellent. a really big, important thing for me is to try to get people into all, into all the queues. There's so much good content there, but people always funnel to like the path of least resistance. Um, and there's yep. lots of fun things to do. And there's lots of things where every time I keep hearing, oh, the queues are dying. He says, no, they're not. They're actually more robust than ever. It's just because there's so many of them that people are yep. just spread They're going really to the ones thin. that are quickest and easiest yeah. and they can get what they like, need oh, and then go. My queue will never pop. No one's playing queues. No, it's yeah. not true. They're just playing the ones you don't want to play. So yeah. we want to make sure that everyone gets to play the queues they want because a lot of them are really great yeah. and they just don't get played. Yes. So we want to make sure that happens in. And while we do that, we'll probably say, hey, and maybe some of these will just We'll, maybe we'll remove some or, and, right. and, and, re, and retool them later mm. if there's anything if there's anything that's just really really unpopular right. but the good thing about the system is that even if you think that the rewards are not good for a particular mm -hmm. queue 
that uh, we're going to give you a bonus for that's for, nice. for signing up for this kind of st gameplay yeah. style. So that's exciting. But, um, so I don't know exactly what format that will take and when that will happen, but it's something that we are very actively looking at and, nice. and, and working on. That's mm -hmm. exciting. Very exciting. I have another question about uh, about the Endeavor system and talking about the rewards. One of the things that we talked about on a on a recent episode was. Um, what's the motivation behind the, the Endeavor system being um, account-based rather than character-based? So if you have 13 characters, you, you can't go in and do the Endeavor system on each and every one of them. It, it goes for, for your account. What was the thinking behind that? Well, there's lots of thinkings. I, I, I personally would like to see more things go account-based. I don't know how, how easy it will be to transition Star Trek in that way. That's my mm -hmm. personal thoughts on yeah. that. I think that is a decision that Either way, there's going to be negative feedback on, as yeah, well there, as positive feedback. Yeah, there's pros and cons to both right? sides. There's pros yeah. and cons to yeah. both sides. If we if we if we make it account based, then well, I have to only have to do it once and I'm done. Yeah. And oh, but I want to earn more rewards from all my from all my other yep. alts. And, you and, have to and then we have an inflection yep. of too much, you know, dilithium or whatever rewards in there. And then we say, okay, well, we'll do that. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it becomes an obligation. What? Now mm -hmm. i got to log in yeah. and every day I've got to do 24 <laughs> yeah. of these? Yeah. This is terrible. Why don't you make it account-based? So, so that's, that's really the um, – I, I, it, it was just a choice of one or the other. And we've had issues, we know, with, Q, with, with events that mm -hmm. people don't like having to do it with every single one of their alts. Yeah. Um, even though it was something that they had chosen to build in their in that service, but I don't know. I, I hope to see the move Star Trek Online to more account-based stuff. But uh, this is really early stuff. Just in my head, I haven't even discussed it with Rakosa, so he's oh, probably right. saying, he's listening to this, and what are you talking about? <laughs> nah. So this is just something that uh, um, that 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 uh, I've talked about with with a few mm. people, and it's like, yeah, maybe maybe we can do that. Maybe we never could. Yeah. I don't know. So the last question uh, comes from our super fan Chris Keen. And he is desperate to know if Star Trek Online will eventually support 4K displays. Oh, I, I have absolutely no idea. All right. I have absolutely no idea. That, that probably more of a question for Panhol if you get to talk to him. Oh, he probably okay. will have absolutely no idea, but he would probably know have more yeah. idea than me. All right, but I'll be sure to ask. Especially now that we've got... Uh, We've got Star Trek Online on console, yeah. mm -hmm. and people are hooking up their Xbox Ones and PlayStation 4s to their giant TVs. I, I think there's going to be a demand for that in the future. Sure. I'm sure there's a demand for it now. Yeah. I mean, I know that people wanted to, oh, could we support VR headsets? And it's like, well, you can actually run run Star Trek Online in 3D VR, but it's some of it is, there actually is 3D in it. I don't know. We built it for that a long time ago, and mm -hmm. I don't know what, stat, what state it's in, but... It may have decayed over the years. Oh, yeah. We haven't really looked at it, but I. Um, yeah. But that was just not something we pursued. But yeah, 4K. I don't know. This is that's more engineering and art. Yeah. I don't really think about that honestly. Awesome. Okay, okay Al. I, I have a feeling I know what you're going to say. However, so at the very end of the panel on the main stage, yeah. we showed a, a version of the trailer. That at the very very end, we've got. Uh, a lovely shot of DS9, mm -hmm. uh, the wormhole opening behind it, right. and a whole bunch of ships flying out of the wormhole. What was that about, man? <laughs> what was that? What? Tell us more. What's coming? Well, if, if you remember back in uh, Legacy, uh, before Legacy Ramas came out, we had a we had a trailer for whatever season that was, and then we had a little march between the Raptors' wing. We call them stingers. A little. Yeah. It's not quite a teaser. It's even less than a teaser. But and so we did that here for our upcoming content that uh, we said would be around summer of uh, 2018. Okay. Oh, right. Oh. Um, so 
yeah, your instincts are correct. I, I can't tell you much of anything other yeah. than what we saw there and that we saw, I mean, what we saw, we saw yeah. DS9, so wormhole open, we saw a whole bunch of Dominion ships come in and it just says, Victory is life, summer 2018. So what uh, what do you guys think it means? Because I can't really talk too much about it. Well, um, here's, the, here's the thing that I assume is yeah. that it's, it's going to be uh, in the current arc. We're not talking about something completely new. That, that we're going to cut off everything that we're doing right now and then move on to something new. But still Wells away. Yeah, no, right. I know. It's still like a year Almost a year away. away. Yeah. But, um, you know, are we going to are we going to have concluded? Is this like... How do I phrase it correctly? I think you generally see like all of our arcs. We plan, like I've always mentioned, yeah. I still have arcs planned all the way for another two years. And so we plan all our arcs and we plan them. I mean, we don't usually just, I mean, the Iconi one was a big one, but we generally try to have everything move from one, even though it ends, it kind of like hands off a little bit right. uh, uh, to the next thing. So there'll be, there'll be some sort of connection. Yeah. Um, I guess what I want to know is, is that a beginning or is that an end? Um, that is a wait and see. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I don't know why I'd I love, bother asking I'd these love, questions. I'd love to talk about it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, uh, I can tell you that uh, I'm talking to people here at the convention about mm -hmm. it. So uh, actors and stuff. So yep. So that um, um, it'll be hopefully be great to see some new some new actors in the game. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, I really can't say too much other than. It's probably going to be a lot different than what people are expecting. Okay. They won't be. Yeah. They won't be. Yeah. They won't be tried. Good. Well, I, I I think I speak for all of us when I say we're really looking forward to, to seeing how that I'm comes super out. Super excited. Um, yeah. Um, Deep Space Nine is my absolute favorite, but um, we're not going to let Elijah play. He's got some. He's got some DS9 cred to. to to prove first. Fair right. enough. And just the last little question, are we going to see our DS9 revamp that's been kind of, we've been talking about it for ages, is that going to come? A revamp of the interior of DS9 yeah. will eventually come. Yeah. That would seem like a logical time to do it. Mm. Interesting. Yes, it would seem like a logical time to do that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> well, Al, as always, it's a pleasure having you on the show and I'm so grateful that uh, I was able to take part in the panel and that you're here at Vegas and chatting with us as always. Yeah. It's a pleasure. These last seven years have been great, so thank you. Thank, yeah. thank you, and thank you very much for the things that you guys do, and thank you for, for moderating our panel. Um, Priority One just always continues to impress me, and uh, you guys, I listen to your show every every Monday morning, and it's so well ordered, and so it's just, I love it. You guys do amaze how much work you guys put in. Thank you. You guys have, a, what are you guys, about three in the morning on, thir on for some of you, on, on uh, Thursdays? So the, so, only if it goes really badly. And right, then, yeah. right. And, then, <laughs> and winters in Ireland. Winters, winters is up at, yeah. what, four so in the morning. When you watch the live stream, you start to see the sunrise in his bed. Oh, room. It's like, it's, yeah. yeah, it's just actually tremendous, tremendous effort. So. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Al. Thank thanks you. Again. Security clearance level three or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko. Authorization Sisko Alpha One Alpha. Logs accessed. Captains, we are here at Star Trek Las Vegas, and joining us for this interview is systems designer Jeremy Bordicus Randall. Jeremy, thanks for joining us today. No problem. And now, I don't know if your viewers know, but it's lead systems designer. Lead systems yeah, designer. I'm Congratulations, man. Congratulations. <laughs> thanks. When did that happen? Uh, several months ago. Nice. Well, good for you, man. Yeah. Well deserved. Well thanks. deserved. Thanks. Right, so we have a few questions um, from our listeners who would like to ask you a few things. So I'm just going to start off with the first one. So on Facebook, our listener, Michael Lagor, whose name I'm sure I'm mispronouncing, <laughs> he's asked, 
When the space revamp went live, it had an unintended consequence. Threat output's been severely weakened. Any chance for a low cooldown taunt button and or plus threat space set for tanks? Okay, the skill revamp is what he's talking about. Uh -huh. Yeah, that yeah. wasn't an unintended consequence. I can. I it was not an unintended much. consequence. No, it was intended. It uh, unintended. It was unintended. Yeah. Okay. Um, threat mechanics in STO have never been a, a core mechanic of the game. Mm -hmm. Like we know that there are players out there that want to be the ones to get hit in the face, and yeah. if, if that's how you like playing the game, we try <laughs> to support it as much as we can. Okay. Um, so yeah, the it was an unintended consequence. I think the most likely way that you'd see us. Uh, uh, addressing that is not with the use of a taunt button, though. Mm -hmm. that, that moves a little too far into making it a core mechanic right. for how you uh, play the content in the game. Right. But doing something like a set, like he mentioned, uh, that might have a, a threat bonus, that that's not a bad idea. Um, we've also talked about, I can't make any guarantees, but we have talked about going back and revisiting the uh, embassy consoles to see if they need any tuning or, and or threatening stance. Okay. Yeah. I guess the thre threatening stance is a little bit like that, though. It's a little bit like a taunt. Yeah, it's just yeah. A, a passive taunt. It just yeah. increases the amount of threat you generate okay. if, it, if it's turned on, yeah. Yeah, because that, that was going to be my question. Why would you want to keep something like that out of the game? Um, because it's kind of it's pretty common in a lot of other types of RPGs. It is. Our content was just never it. really uh, created with the idea of being able to force an NPC to behave in a certain way without the use of a power. Uh, okay. So those sort of trade-offs are, if we make a taunt power that takes up something like a console slot or a bridge officer seat, uh -huh. then there's always a trade-off, that cost of opportunity. Okay. And we could potentially do something like that, but just okay. adding it in as a power that everyone has access to uh, really doesn't mesh with the way that we've envisioned the game to be played. Oh, yeah, so I see that. that that's what I was thinking that he was asking would be like a yeah. taunt button, but that would, you potentially would do something as a bridge officer. Right, yeah. You know, to I mean, do that. But, we don't um, have any plans to, but it's more likely yeah. to arrive in that sort okay, of scenario. Okay, I gotcha. Yeah. All right, on, on Facebook, Don Brainum wrote in, there's a substantial difference in damage output between crafted omni-beams and mission reward omni-beams, such as the one for brush fire, mm -hmm. that seems to favor crafted weapons. Is, th is this by design, and if so, why? It is by design, uh, and one of the reasons that they're different is we've always had a, a separate type of, well, I don't, not always, but the first 360 beam that you could put on your full-size ship came from the uh, obelisk set mm -hmm. back in, like, our fourth or fifth anniversary. Mm -hmm. um, and that was intentionally a underpower weaponing. It basically gives up one or more of its mod slots for the extra arc, uh, resulting in a, a lower damage value. Now... As we went on and we introduced crafted 360 beams, we decided they shouldn't have to give that up. Crafted stuff should have an extra special flavor to it. Um, so we made the decision that we're basically two different types of, of 360 weapons, and each of them share equip limits. So you can only have one crafted beam and one uh, mission beam mm -hmm. uh, that uses the 360 um, uh, arc. Okay. So yeah, it's all intentional, um, and uh, we've tried to design around it as best we can. Our next question comes from Facebook. Matthias Wutrich says, is there a specific reason why one cannot go to Cardassia in Star Trek Online? They have it mostly covered with Earth, Vulcan, Bajor, and so on, but in all those years, never Cardassia. I think it's just because Cardassia is such a crap hole. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no one wants to design a ground map. Here we go. Hate, hate emails coming in. <laughs> It, this really just goes back to a larger question, which is a lot of our social areas, like, like Andor and, mm -hmm. and uh, Vulcan and a few others, yep. are really underutilized. Yes. And that's, yes, they are. That's, uh, 
that's really hard for us to do. Like, uh, we want players to want to go to social zones, but we also want to go where the people are. We yeah. Want we want people to be where the people are. <laughs> <laughs> so driving wow. people to more populous areas uh -huh. like Erstardock, uh, Earth uh, DS9, stuff like that, is important for us because we want other players to feel like they're a part of a community. Okay. If we started to spend the time to develop other social areas, that would also fragmentize our, our player base to some degree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's... It's kind of a give and take that we're not sure we would want to really explore. As far as Cardassia specifically being missing, yeah, um, that's honestly we just would want to do it right. Yeah, like, uh, there was a time when the STO devs put out. This was before I joined the team, but Andor and like three or four other social areas were released, and all of them had nothing to do. And we wouldn't want to do that same thing again. Yeah, and do a disservice to other zones. Yeah. Uh, so if we ever did a social area on Cardassia, we'd need a really good reason to make it a, a central hub. Right. Um, it's so close to DS9, too. I'm not sure that we would actually want to pursue that so much. I gotcha. Um, the, that question kind of goes on. It's a, a, a similar question. Are there plans for a Gamma Quadrant map extension like we got for the Delta Quadrant? I can't speak too much about future plans, okay. but I'm sure that this this player, as well as many of our others, saw our teaser that came out the other day, mm -hmm. with the shot of uh, DS9 and the wormhole and everything. Uh, I'll just say, stay tuned. On Facebook, Frank Vessel wrote in, "What are the best ship weapons, and why do you favor them?" Thanks. Uh, mines. No, Mom? no, not really. Uh, Actually, one of our designers like, has I was been really confused there for a second. Breaking news. <laughs> one of our designers, yeah. uh, I forget his screen name off the top of my head, but it's Matt Campbell, has been taking it upon himself to build mine boats and make sure that we can try to figure out a way to make them more viable and more more central as an option that players yeah. can actually tinker around with. Uh, he was inspired by a recent summer ship. Uh, the, the Which one was that? The Vorgon Rinkodan mm -hmm. carrier. Yeah. Uh, he just loves the idea of spitting out tons of entities all over the, that do all of his work for him. <laughs> I, I kind of uh, like that. It's like delegation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just a carrier. You just fly around and wait for everything else to die. Yeah. No, but uh, in seriousness, I, I hope that the game doesn't have a best-in-class weapon. Uh, I know that many different players have their own preferences, and uh, for good reasons. Uh, I know that a very popular one right now in the meta is the Coalition Disruptors, because they're all synergistic with one another. If you have multiple people on the same team using them, everybody gets to benefit from the same debuff, and that's cool. But uh, yeah, like I said, I hope there's not a best in game. Me personally, uh, I lean more heavily towards using space science. Uh, you know, space wizardry right. to destroy my foes. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you think it also considered a weapon? So you you talked about the synergy with the the other weapon, the disruptor. Yeah. W uh, do you think that perhaps there's a better qu uh, the better question is are there weapon types that are better for different types of players? Like for instance, you mentioned the synergy with team, yeah. but me as a solo player, yeah. perhaps <laughs> it's anti protons. Does, yeah. Do you think uh, that yeah that would plays probably a role? be a popular opinion? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I. I honestly think even if they do edge out, the difference, the, the margin of performance is probably mm -hmm. so small that for the bulk of our content, you're not going to really be able to tell. But if you're one of those players that loves eking out that last 1%, 2% of performance, right. I, I would recommend you just go around and, and ask the other members of the community what they feel is the best for, for your situation. Yep. There are obviously a few favorites out there right now. Right. Our next question comes from Twitter. Eric Penner-Howry says... At this point, do you have the license to include elements from Star Trek Beyond? Uh, and I'm just going to add on to that. Uh, are there plans to include elements from Star Trek Discovery as well? 
I don't know about Beyond uh, because that's Paramount and we're a CBS licensor. Uh, we usually have to jump through some hoops to get the movie stuff. Mm-hmm. And I know that we did to get the uh, previous two movies, some of that Kelvin timeline stuff included. Yep. I, I have a feeling that we would probably want to include things from Beyond if we could. So, yeah. um, unfortunately, that's kind of business level stuff. It's a, still a bit above me, even okay. though I've been made lead. So <laughs> you're not currently designing new playable species for all the 50 new types of races that they put in Star Trek Beyond. Beyond even yeah. if we could, yeah. uh, even if we were, we couldn't tell you uh, of course, <laughs> right now. Of course, of uh, course. But at this time, I can't say I'm not aware of any Beyond uh, tie-ins. As far as, as Discovery goes, uh, the most I can tell you is that we have already been talking with CBS about it. Okay. Um, and I, I'll just leave it at that. Okay. On Twitter, the meme Ranglout wrote in, will the new Galaxy class bridge be ship class specific? Uh, no. I don't believe it will. Um, It will be Federation-specific, obviously. I mean, I hope that's obvious. I believe that just like the Belfast interior, I think you can use it on any Federation starship. Cool, cool. Now, uh, there seems to be some concern about weapon nerfing. Is that... uh, Do you have any plans for any sort of weapon nerfing? Oh, yeah, everything. Nice, good. Right into the ground. We're going to make all your weapons do one damage per hit. (laughs) Regardless of your buffs. It's just going to tickle them. Yeah. <laughs> well, because we know that the new mechanic that they're trying to push is, of course, mines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Everything except mines will be nerfed into the floor. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, uh, I know that players uh, like love to use the word nerf, but really internally that's always just a matter of um, bringing in outliers when they're causing damage to the long-term game. And right now, I'm not aware of any specific weapons or, or abilities that are that are doing that. You know, we did a pretty comprehensive pass with season 13 to, to bring a lot of those uh, outliers into into uh, into line, and we're still doing it on a regular basis. I actually was just reading an email this morning from someone back home, yeah. <laughs> still working while I'm out here enjoying myself. <laughs> <laughs> this question is a little more fun. You know, you guys recently just announced the whole LeVar thing. Mm-hmm. How itchy do you guys get at the office? Because you know this stuff for weeks, yeah, months yeah, ahead of you know yeah. ahead of the public and the, knowledge. the process of getting these VOs signed can take months. Right. So how antsy were you the whole time? So, yeah. so uh, LeVar is our first uh, TNG other than Denise that we've right. been able to get from the bridge crew. And uh, we've been just so antsy to get him, so anxious, because it's the big TNG anniversary. Yeah. We, yeah. Needed, yeah. we needed a big star to anchor yeah. our big uh, celebration episode, and uh, we reached out to him. He was very receptive yeah. at first, but nice. it was kind of a slow process, so right. we were all around the office like, is he going to do it? Is he going to do it? And then, of course, we have to come up with backup plans in case right. we can't get a big star for it. Like, how are we going to make this episode still splash and everything? So, right. Right. yeah, it can be really stressful. Yeah. Uh, to date, I think it's always come together, though. Yes, Sometimes absolutely. at the very last minute, some yeah. of the Delta Rising <laughs> VOs yeah. came in really hot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> On Twitter, uh, Shane asks... Would it ever be possible to let players transfer lockbox or lobby ships entirely from one character to another? Uh, after they've been commissioned? Yeah. yeah presumably? Yeah, because they're still tradable when they're in box form. Uh, yeah. We have talked about that in the past. There's a, uh, I don't want to get into it too deeply, but there's basically a lot of monetary concerns with what impact that might have on our overall sales and things okay. like that. It's risky when you're talking about one of our biggest money makers changing yeah. anything dramatically about it. Um, yeah could have unseen repercussions on our bottom line, and nobody wants to get fired because they tried to make it better for yeah. players. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we, we do talk about that kind of stuff all the time. We, yeah. uh, with our Season 14 lockbox, obviously there's going to be a new lockbox. 
Uh, I won't tell you what it is yet, though. Um, <laughs> we're trying a few new things, a few new prizes, and a few different ways to give things out, and hoping that that goes over well. So we do want to go through and iterate on these processes and try mm. to make it more enjoyable, more engaging for players. Um, but something that big is really risky. Okay. I mean, I, I always wondered about this, because um, in terms of, like, immersion, when I have multiple characters on my account... That, it feels to me like I am, uh, you know, uh, dipping into different aspects of maybe a, a team that I control. Yeah, Do you see sure. what I mean? And it, Especially for, with the existence of an account bank. Exactly. Yeah. And it makes sense for me to be able to transfer control of a ship from my main character, who I play all the time, to maybe one of my smaller characters. Yep. Um, in terms of uh, money, I wouldn't buy that ship on another character right. because I've already spent it. My, my pocketbook is... And, and we understand that it's a big investment to do so. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, I couldn't say that we will do it. Um, mm. It is something that we potentially could, but as I said, it'd be risky. We'd have to make sure we cover, our, cover all our bases and don't end up shooting ourselves in the foot. Okay. Uh, Shane also has a second part to his question. I'd also love to hear what the writing process is like when these big characters come in. Do the actors help write their parts? Uh, rarely. Usually by the time that they're signed, we will give them uh, a copy of the script that we mm -hmm. have planned, but even that's in an early iteration. Yeah. Uh, usually not final. Um, we have had some actors in the past give us notes about, like, I, I don't feel like... I think one of the, the biggest ones was... Uh, I want to say Aaron helped us uh, smooth out some of the lines for Nog right. uh, for his episode. Right. Um, so they'll always give us tips and everything, but honestly, most of them are just so excited to be reliving the character again and bringing it back to life that they're used to working with writers. Mm -hmm. The writing process is different, though. Like uh, We tend to try our best to finalize those scripts several weeks in advance of where we would without if we didn't have a, a celebrity VO in the right. episode, um, which is actually... It's kind of a pain because then we have to push all of our production uh, schedules up so far. Mm -hmm. But it also gives us ends up usually giving us more time to polish those episodes and make them even better right. uh, because we know so much about what it's going to end up being so much further in advance. Mm -hmm. So uh, mixed blessings. <laughs> uh, Jason Smith on Twitter says, you guys got to go to Canada. He is desperate for Cryptic Studios to yeah. attend a Canadian convention somewhere so you got so you can Is there a big uh, one in Canada? I think there's one in Toronto. You, you, Montreal? And then Vulcan has one, right? There's a Vulcan Canada ends up having a Star Trek convention. Yeah, well, maybe. The real person you need to get that bug in their ear is uh, Ambassador Kale. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. So what are you working on nowadays, now that you are lead systems designer? Well, I've inherited the, uh, the mantle of building ships. Yes, oh, okay. Um, so all of the ships since the... Uh, Oh, which was my first? The Miranda was my first. The Miranda bundle. Nice. Uh, nice. The uh, Reliant. That okay. Was, a, was my first big uh, foray into, into shipbuilding since I've been back. And every ship since then has been one that I've crafted. So now that you're you're in this new position, in this new leadership role, is there is there a direction that you'd like to take that you might have had thought about in the past that maybe now you can actually execute? Uh, yes, absolutely. Unfortunately, I can't really talk about it because I don't want to sound like I'm making any promises. Right, right, right. Um, but I feel like uh, Star Trek is getting older. Star Trek Online uh, has is a bit long in the tooth. And choices we've made in the past I don't know will continue to serve us well as our player base gets more veteran. You know, mm -hmm. most of our, well, not most, but a lot of our players have been around for many years that the game has been around, and mm -hmm. they are looking for something new. Right, right. So right, right. maybe it's we need to start looking for something new as well. Cool. That's mm -hmm. fascinating. Yeah. Were you the one 
Did the heavy weapons come from you? Was that your idea? No, that was actually the brainchild of uh, a combination of Gordon Gonzola, Phil Zaleski, mm -hmm. and uh, Spartan, our newest system designer. Nice. We had decided basically that the role of an escort is to deal damage. Mm -hmm. I mean, they have other things they can do. They're more maneuverable, all that kind of stuff. But in all of the uh, test cases that we ran, they were underperforming in that regard. Mm -hmm. And so we decided that they needed another weapon. But we didn't want to just open up another weapon slot and leave it open to all of the crazy synergies and interactions and scaling uh, that could potentially push that push that scale too far. Right. Uh, so, yeah, they decided to, and I think it's a great move, to introduce this heavy weapons, which I I think we're going to switch away from and start calling them experimental weapons in the future. Oh, okay. Um, okay. It, it makes more sense. They're right. not all heavy. Right, right. Uh, so, uh, but the experimental weapons were a way that we can introduce more damage for mm -hmm. those ships that whose role is to deal damage without letting it get so crazy. Uh, it also lets us experiment more with the design. We can do a little bit more crazy things like the lightning cannon. That's the, the standard one for everybody. Right. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great design opportunity for us while also addressing a problem. Awesome. Awesome. So we were talking about uh, new systems and adding little elements into the game. And I, I think we've touched on this actually with you a little bit before, but the the game gets a little more complicated every time there's a new release, every yes, time there's a season, right. because you you want to put new things into the game, new mechanics, uh, new content um, to, to draw people in. Describe to me what the thought process is like, because you don't want to make it so complicated that it's intimidating, but yeah. then you have to introduce newness um, and bring a little excitement to it. And especially now, you were just talking, it's a seven-year-old game. Mm -hmm. we, we've done that a lot of times now. Yeah. Um, how? Describe the thought process when you're adding something in. And then also, where, where are we going to go to in the future? I know you can't talk in, in specifics, right. but like, what's the vision of how we make that work? Well, you're touching on something that has become more of a, a forefront idea for us, is this worry that... Well, not worry, but um, a slight concern that the, every time we introduce anything new, it's that much more to learn. And especially over the last, uh, since we introduced the game on console, we've had a whole swath of new players. Right. And we do constantly get, you know, concerns about, uh, well, I've been leveling up, but there's just so much to learn. I feel like I, the further I go, I, the, the more lost I get. Right. And, uh, and so it is very much a concern for us now. It hasn't always been, because for a long time we thought that we just needed more game. Yeah. Um, and that was probably true for back then. I'm not sure it's so true anymore. So as we move forward, I think you're more likely to see systems that build upon existing things rather mm -hmm. than inventing whole new swaths of gameplay. To add to that, are, is there concern about obsolescence? So, for instance, does anybody use the Aegis set anymore? And if not, when you look at that, do you think... What if we go back to something or reintroduce it in some way? There's not so much of a question there, but more an observation and if it's something that you consider in terms of older gear and what yeah. to do with that. Uh, and not just older gear, but older powers, right. older uh, missions, older systems. Um, we, we play the game. Uh, I've been just started playing on console a few weeks back, and that's a whole new experience with a whole new UI to get used to and everything. And, and yeah, it can feel a little overwhelming. Uh, taking notes for ourselves as we go through the game and, and see where we consider some of those pain points to be, they become the spotlights that we can look for when we're looking to expand or improve the game in the future. Mm. So absolutely, we're always looking at the game as a whole. We, we have a constant need to move forward because we know that a lot of our core players are also a lot of our core spenders. Yeah. Um, so we do need to support them 
them with new things on a regular basis. We don't want them to get bored and move away. Uh, the game is free, so it, there's a very little uh, roadblock for them to just go somewhere else and play a different yeah. free game if they yeah. like. Um, so we do need to constantly be introducing new things. But in the future, um, starting pretty much immediately, we're hoping to do so in a way that caters to existing systems. You actually saw a lot of this in Season 13 with our uh, refocus on some competitive gameplay aspects. Yep. Yep. Uh, our hope was that some of that might help revitalize some of our PvP sides, at least maybe just uh, in friendly one-on-one -on -one matches. Yeah. I know that our public open PvP is still a bit of a, a chaos mm -hmm. uh, system. Um, but yeah, that's the kind of thing that I think the future of SDO will see is, is revisiting those old things, finding a way to expand and improve upon them. Has there been any thought, for instance, like I, I think of something as old as an Aegis set, to allow modifications to happen in the crafting system for older, you know, let's say anything older than two years, you can bring it into the crafting system and add a modifier? Uh, there's been a lot of talk recently about the crafting system. That's one of those uh, systems that we are actively looking at improving and expanding upon in the near future. I, I don't know that we Does can that talk fall about under you? Is that systems? Yeah, Does that come under you? Thing. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. That, that'll be me and my team that nice. work on that. So when you're talking about older things like the Aegis set or similar older gear that really doesn't stack up against newer like reputation sets mm -hmm. or even mission sets to some extent, um, we're not as likely to go back and improve the sets as we are to make sure that they become more accessible. And then we kind of create a tierification. Uh, maybe it. the Aegis is your first set. You know, right. Fisher Price's baby's first set. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that was and good. then you can graduate to the, the, the higher level stuff. Nice. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. And uh, how is the crafting system going? And what can I'm sure players are still itching for control over modifiers. Yeah, oh, I can't talk about it yet, yeah. but we are in active development on, on expanding crafting in some ways. Uh, that will come in the future. I don't think we're talking about it just yet. Nice. And, you know, a lot of the concerns that the players have had about that system are the same concerns that we've had. Um, we know that it's a lot of button mashing without really a lot of engagement, and yes. we want to try and improve that as best we can. Yes. Um, as well as, you know, aspects like having more options for mods or or better customization opportunities for your equipment. Yeah, that's all stuff that we know as well as players. Yeah. And as systems designers, crafting is pretty close to the heart of, of all of us on the team. You know, yeah. Crafting in any MMO is, is very frequently like the systems team's baby. Yeah. That's, that's their time to shine. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so uh, improving that and making it a more central part of the gameplay experience is something we'd very much like to explore. Great. Would you guys ever consider retiring some of these smaller crafting items? So... Uh, um, the, the reason I'm thinking about this is when we when we did a uh, I can't remember exactly when we did this with fleets and simplified the the items that were required to yeah, complete fleet products. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, you know there's a a lot of time in the crafting system where you're you're crafting the very you know the the common or the uncommon the components element, the components yeah, of it. Yeah. Thank you. Um, would you ever consider simplifying that in favor of you know just making it a little more easy for people to, to yeah, do that without so much button mashing. I think in hindsight, uh, when, when we first created this crafting system, mm -hmm. the idea of the components was to serve as the idea that you were actually felt more like you were making something yes. and not so much that you were just playing a UI. Yeah. Uh, and so when you take a Verderon particle and turn it into a power pack and then turn it into a weapon, it feels a little more real, a little more immersive. Whereas yeah. if you're just taking this random green crafting thing and poof, a weapon there's a suspension of disbelief that not everybody can handle yeah. uh, to that. But My I think immersion. that in hindsight, <laughs> I think that in yeah. hindsight, we've learned that that extra component crafting step is a little clunky, a yeah. little time consuming. 
and maybe it's not serving the system as a whole in the way that we wanted it to. Yeah, I mean, my, my personal experience is that I am constantly evaluating uh, the, the time it takes to do that against just buying them in the exchange. And a lot yeah. of the time... Um, well, that was a side effect of what we wanted. Yeah. Um, like, we were okay and kind of wanted to try to encourage the idea that low-level crafters, maybe they spend all their time making components that the right. high-level crafters will just buy off the exchange and use yeah. to make items. Yeah. I'm not sure that the system puts that in your face enough for it to be obvious, yeah. um, but it was something that we had thought about. But again, if we, if we improve the crafting system, well, we've talked about the components issue. Mm. I'm not mm. sure if it'll change, but it is something that we acknowledge as a... Uh, uh, a, uh, a stumbling point mm. in the current system. Okay. Is the um, fleet holding under system design as well? Yes. So do you think that players with this new tier 5 fleet holding coming out, mm -hmm. what do you think player reception will be in terms of it costing almost as much as a fleet starbase? We hope it will be good right. because we've also included um, very comparable rewards to what the starbase originally offered. Okay. I don't know if we're ready to announce the details of it, but basically, I mean, you've got three subtracts, each with five tiers, and a primary track with five tiers. Right. That's a lot of tiers worth of unlocks, and yes. so we had to fill it with a lot of things you could earn. And so we're hoping that, even though, yeah, it will cost more, obviously. Yeah. There's more there to do, but there's also more there to get, right. and more there to, uh, to earn and, and uh, explore and play with. I know that Winters has had an ongoing concern about fleet, uh, the, the expenses of something like uh, the Starbase. Uh, yeah, it's the, 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 in particular, it's dilithium expenses and uh, duty officers that mm -hmm. are uh, blocking, uh, blocking things from getting completed in the fleet projects. Yeah, we've found that those are, those are common blockers for a majority of fleets. Mm -hmm. If they're having trouble progressing, those are usually the stopping points. Yeah. And it, is that something that you're acknowledging as, a, as, a, as an issue and looking to potentially rebalance? Or is that something that is sort of by design that you, you feel that fleets should have that roadblock, that it shouldn't be too easy both, to complete? Both. Okay. Exploring both is not, they're not mutually exclusive. Like right. uh, by design, fleet, fleet, uh, fleet holdings are supposed to be a very large investment. Okay. And I don't know if players know, but we, we balanced all those numbers around having 25 active players in your fleet. Okay. Uh, when we originally launched the, the very first fleet holding the Starbase, that was the data showed us that the average active fleet had about 20 to 25 active players. So we set all those numbers to kind of the high end of that average so the players could, could work together as a fleet and everybody right. could, uh, right. could, could generate fleet credits and, and get everything. Um, and surprisingly, I actually wasn't expecting this, but we did a similar poll recently to see the average number of active players. It's almost mm -hmm. identical. It's in the 20 to 25 range still. Wow. So the, uh, all of our holdings since the beginning have been balanced around that number. I'm glad it still seems to be accurate. Uh, I know that there's a lot of smaller fleets, social guilds, or, or groups of you know three to five players. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they're going to have a hard time. Uh, the best recommendation I have for them is join an armada mm -hmm. with, a, with a bunch of other active fleets. Because the members of those armadas, especially if their holdings are already fully progressed, still yeah. need fleet credits on a pretty Correct. regular basis. Yep. So, And the best way that they can, well, one of the best ways they can do that is by donating to other fleets within the armada. Yeah, no, that's a really good point because that was one of the one of the issues that if people were not able or willing to, to contribute DOFs and dilithium, then they couldn't get any fleet credits so they couldn't buy anything and it was kind of getting all yeah. stuck. But you're right, if you have smaller fleets within your armada, mm -hmm. you could potentially offset some of that. But to answer the other part of your question, we are aware that those are sticking points and we'd mm -hmm. love to find some good ways to massage them into place. Okay. With the holding that you'll see in Season 14, we're trying something a little bit, uh, just... Not going whole hog with it because we're not sure how it'll work out, but we have um, 
massage the dilithium values a bit and okay. are looking for an alternative uh, solution to that. And um, we'll see how that works out. We're actually really excited to see how players respond to it. Okay. Well, Jeremy, we don't want to keep you here. And it's so great to see you back here at Las Vegas. It was yeah. great to have you last year, and uh, hopefully you'll come again next this year. This is your guys' the first time in the Roddenberry booth, right? Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. It's been fun, absolutely kind of exciting, fun. exciting, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you so much for joining us. We, will, we won't wait this long, another year, before we have you back on the show. Let's, <laughs> yeah. let's, not, let's do that. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Agreed. guys. Thanks. And thanks once again to Al Captain Gecko Rivera and Jeremy Bordicus Randall for those two great interviews. Now let's head over to the Astrometrics Lab for a very special report from Dr. Robert Hurt and Dr. Phil Plate, aka the Bad Astronomer. For this month's Astrometrics Report, we're doing something a little different. Uh, we're here live at Star Trek Las Vegas for the 30th anniversary of Star Trek The Next Generation. So today I'm actually here live with a colleague and friend of mine, Dr. Phil Plate, who is a well-known astronomer and science communicator. Uh, he had actually a very long-running blog in Slate and is now actually writing for SciFiWire.com. That's right. Uh, and actually, SciFi.com. Oh, SciFi.com. They have now glommed everything together into one massive genre website where they cover everything uh, science fiction related. Well, fantastic. That's yeah. even easier to say. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so far at the convention, we've actually had two very successful panels that you've moderated for us on uh, topics of uh, exoplanets and life in the universe. Well, you know, I'm only as good as the panelists on the show, and Robert was one of the panelists along with uh, Jesse Christensen and uh, Phil uh, Hopkins and uh, exoplanet folks uh, studying the formation and observation of exoplanets, planets around alien stars. And I was, I was quite pleased with the, uh, you know, a lot of people in the audience, especially in the second one. We were up against uh, some guy who played Sulu in the original series, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was, George uh, Takei. Uh, and we still had about, uh, look, well over 100, I think close, more like 200 people in the audience. So it's, that was pretty cool. It's very cool. gratifying that, that even against George Takei, you can find a significant audience wanting yeah. to learn a little more about science and astronomy. Yeah, it's nice. I did a Star Trek convention, my, my first one, oh gosh, when I worked on Hubble. So this must have been like 1995 or 6. It was shore leave in Baltimore, uh, where, I, where, actually, where, where I used to live in that area. And I did a, I did a science talk. And I found that the audience there didn't really know that much science. They, they came at Star Trek from a completely different angle than I did. Uh, and so it, it kind of surprised me. They wanted to know more about the science, but they didn't have a, a really good grasp of it. Um, and that really opened my eyes to the fact that it's like, oh, yeah, Star Trek means different things to different people. Now, yeah. do, you, do you find that in nowadays, right, with shows like The Expanse and Battlestar Galactica, that there's, there is, in fact, more of an emphasis on trying to keep the science yeah, true? Very much. Yeah. Uh, Battlestar had a science advisor, uh, Kevin Grazier. He's an old friend. And uh, uh, he did as, you know, as much as he could to make sure the science was accurate. He's, and, and he and, and a lot of other people have uh, participated in a lot of uh, television shows like... Um, uh, well, the, the Expanse is actually run by a guy with a physics PhD, uh, Naren yep. Shankar, and um, I, I, you know, I, I actually interviewed for his job at uh, at Star Trek when oh, he left the position. Oh, you mentioned that, yeah. Uh, yeah, he uh, when he was uh, getting promoted from science advisor to story editor, and yes, in Hollywood, 
science advisor is pretty much at the bottom of the rung, right? Yes. Uh, bottom rung on the ladder, but uh, they were interviewing a few people for uh, the science uh, position. I was actually pitching Trek at that point, and That's uh, cool. uh, uh, alas, it went to some other guy, uh, but... Uh, <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's just neat that there's so much interest in doing that, and I think, I think what you said earlier, that the audience, you know, there's an audience for this, in the science fiction conventions at Comic-Con, DragonCon is out of science track forever, uh, and at Star Trek conventions, you're seeing more and more people doing it. Um, and at the same time, I think we're seeing more of an effort on the part of the storytellers to try to at least inform, get informed about the science, whether they use it or not in the script is up to them. Well then, but you actually have an active role actually in one other franchise right now for this, don't you? Yes. Uh, well, I, uh, uh, I've been trying to do science consulting for a long time. I've known Kevin for a while, and he actually got me my first science consulting gig on a show called Zula Patrol, which you haven't heard of. No, I have actually you have heard, heard of Zula Patrol. Yes, okay. I have heard. It I have a, friends at Adler Planetarium. I'm, oh, I, okay, is, yeah, sure. So. Um, but it's, it was a show for uh, uh, basically very young kids. Uh, as an adorable cartoon show about an alien a group that would police the solar system and everything. And it was, I mean, really, really low-level stuff, but they were really concerned about, you know, it's like, look, this alien is going to open up his flying saucer and talk to somebody across the way from him. So you don't have to worry about that. But if we're going to talk about dinosaurs, we want to make sure the dinosaur science is right. And they were really good about that. So that was a lot of fun, and that was my first taste of it. Uh, I've done a little bit since then, hit or miss. Um, I signed up with a group called the Science and Entertainment Exchange, mm -hmm. which is a National Academies of Science uh, project to basically get more scientists involved in the creative process in entertainment, whether that's movies, TV, uh, uh, games, all kinds of things. I actually consulted on a game uh, that, that came out last year, so it's a lot of fun. And I got a call from a guy who was doing a pilot for a show called Salvation uh, about an asteroid that's going to hit the Earth and they're going to launch people into space to save the human race. And uh, that was a lot of fun. It got shelved for like, I don't know, a year, two years. Well, that's how uh, Hollywood works. Yes, exactly. Hurry up and wait. He moved on to a different project, so they gave it to somebody else, but they decided to call me anyway because I was already familiar with it. And, and Matt Wheeler, the, the, the writer, said, you know, go talk to Phil, which I love him for that. Uh, and so um, uh, they called me, and I've been a script consultant for the show called Salvation. A technical consultant is my mm -hmm. title. And it's about an asteroid that's six months away, and what are we going to do about it? And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's funny you can't have an asteroid six months away right. as far away as Jupiter. Not going to happen. It would have to be moving a hundred times, I don't even know the number, but way faster than any natural object. There's not much you can do about it with six months warning. You can't really cover this up from the public. But you don't worry about that because the story is about how the people react to this. And so I've been doing what I can for the science, but allowing the story to go the way they want it to go. Like, like I could change that. But, I, I'm curious now. What, what sort of areas do they actually seem to really care about getting the details right versus maybe the areas that, that oh, no, that, that's running the story, so we can't okay. really flex on that? A little inside dirt on this. Ooh. Because actually, no one, no one will uh, ever hear this that's again. Right. Yeah, um, Gee, thanks, Dr. Hurt. <laughs> yeah, right. And nobody's watching Salvation. Now, actually, Salvation is doing quite well in the ratings. I'm, I'm really happy. Um, Actually, might as well do the plug for Salvation. When, when is that airing? And, it's and on network? CBS on Wednesday nights. I don't know the exact time because I DVR everything now. And I and bet I'm on if Mountain you've, Time. And I'll bet if you missed episodes of it, you could catch up using CBS All Access 
which is a subscription that will also give you access to a certain new Star Trek franchise. And please do so by clicking the links and the affiliate codes on PriorityOnePodcast.com. And then here I come. Here I come to throw water in as I think they put the old episodes up on CBS now and you can watch them for free. But I I think it's only for a limited time. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how they have that all set up because I've just been watching it. You know, I, I just uh, I watch it as it airs. A, a lot of it, they, they'd approached me early on, so I was in on it when even the pilot was still being written. So I was getting like an outline, and they're like, you know, can we do this? Can we do that? And the writers, uh, basically, I was on a conference call with them for well over an hour, talking about asteroids, how you prevent impacts. You know, do you hit them? Do you gently push them out of the way? All these different methods that we have, realistic methods. Um, and, and they were also very concerned about the, ro- the type of rockets you could use to get out there. Uh, because I'm not, I'm not going to spoil too much here. I mean, a lot of this is revealed in like the first two episodes. But they wind up developing a new type of drive that they were interested. They, they would ask me about it. And I said, well, that drive's being tested right now. It's the EM drive. Oh. Yeah. And I was like, well... You should really use, if you want something high thrust that is better and more realistic, you should go to atomic rockets where you can basically heat up steam even to super hot temperatures. And that acts like a, like a really good exhaust. But they were very much focused on the EM drive. They wanted something that was, that was maybe physically, that we think is physically impossible, but they could figure out a way to solve it at the last minute. They needed the drama. Uh, so I Now, as long as they make up something that... Takes it beyond where it is today. Yeah. That's that's the purview of science fiction. Right, and, and the EM drive is something that's been in headlines. People are familiar with it, whether or not you're into yeah. science or not. It's, it's, I yeah. just wanted it's to make sure that we were saying it's not possible. And at one point, yeah. the head guy even says, you know, when they finally get it working, and he says something like, they're worried about having to do something else really quickly. And he says, you just violated Newton's third law. You showed that it's wrong. You guys can do anything. And I, and I, I, I actually had said to them something like that. And then they used it in the, mo- in, ah. in the show. <laughs> and there were a couple of times like with lines like um, there's uh, some grad students sitting around and they're, they're kind of shooting the breeze, teasing each other and everything. And, and they're talking about the three-body problem, which is a well-known physics problem of having three objects in space and how they behave. And one of them, one of them teases the other one and he, he, he says a line which comes off. It was just, it, it sounded like a line. It sounded like something somebody had written mm-hmm. as opposed to something somebody snarky might say. And I said... Uh, why don't you tell the, tell the guy he doesn't know his head from his asymptote? And they, they wound up using that. And I was like, awesome. That was something like I came up with that they used. Nice. I'm sitting here fake laughing. <laughs> I don't yes. know what that meant. It's a mathematical term. Got if you it. look it up, uh, it's a limit but, you, you can approach but never reach. So it's just silly, but, it, right. but it, you know, I like being able to make jokes like that. No, that's fun. The, uh, I mean, one just comment about the EM drive, though. Sadly, this is one of those examples of what happens when media coverage runs way ahead of things like peer review, which yes, are actually exactly. necessary for a yeah. proper proper evaluation of science and where the story basically literally gets picked up from some some unrefereed writings and posts on forums yep. and gets spun up and then re-reported because we have a bad habit in media now of certain journalists uh, in certain other venues, certainly never, Phil. Yeah, not me. Uh, I would, would never just repeat something I heard <laughs> online. <laughs> but yeah, you know, they, they sort of report on a report and no one actually bothers to go back and investigate how authentic right. it is. And so that's how something like EM Drive got spun up to way out of proportion to where it right. is in any any uh, uh, physical state right now. So Yeah, and I've actually, I haven't really written about the EM Drive because 
the physics of it is really is quite complex, and I don't understand all of it because it's not my field, no. and I didn't feel qualified. You know, I, it, it's basically it's it's supposed to be a drive that doesn't have any thrust. It generates a force without uh, any sort of Newtonian mechanical equal and opposite reaction, and it's like, well, you know, Newton's laws are pretty good. Uh, they've been modified by Einstein, but not rejected wholesale. I mean, not, you, not even the particle physicists yeah. have thrown them out yet, and you know, yeah, right. they, they if, love to. If you have, to, if you want to move to the right, you have to throw something out to the left. Is sort of what Newton's Newton's third law says, and the EM drive doesn't do that. Yeah. And you just move to the right. And I, I actually said to the writers, it's like getting yourself to fly by grabbing yourself by the hair and pulling up. Like that doesn't, it doesn't work. And I think they even use that in the show as well. Okay. Um, as long as you hang a lantern on it, I, you know, in science fiction, it's as long as you know where you're breaking the rule and you hang a lantern on it and you admit it, that, that, that at least gives you the chance to go forward with yeah. storytelling. Uh, and so there's a lot of that in the show. So it's like, okay, EM drive works, you can get an asteroid here. But then some of the graphics, some of the things you see on the monitors are accurate. But what I find interesting as well, Stargate Universe, for example, was a, was a good example of, uh, for example, there's a, there's a scientist who is, um, who's trying to figure out an extremely large, difficult problem, and they cut to him every now and again, and he's drawn equations all down the corridor of the ship. And a lot of those equations are real, and there's a lot of fake symbols in, in everything because it's an alien, or it's an ancient race, and da-da-da-da-da. But they had a scientist come in, um, Micah McKinnon, Mm -hmm. uh, who is uh, a, a really good science communicator, and she was their science consultant. And I was expecting a lot of that in, in, in Salvation, and it's there. But what I found I was spending some time with was worrying about copyright and legal issues. Hmm. Can we use the term EM drive? Can we call it, do we, do we call it an electromagnetic drive, which is what EM stands for, electromagnetic? Um, here's our design for a probe that we're going to have orbiting Jupiter. Does it look too much like other probes? Hmm. And, and they were asking me this, and I was talking with their legal department a lot. It's like, that's hmm. really interesting. This never occurred to me. This would be a problem. And then it's like, okay, this initial draft, this drawing that the special effects guys put together, is that too much like the Magellan probe, which orbited Venus? Uh. Uh, and it's like, well, you know, it's a box with an engine on the bottom <laughs> and solar panels sticking out of it. Not a lot you can do with that. Um, and, and so, we, but we changed it around a little bit, and, and then the other question is: is that is that patented? Is it copyrighted? Is it trademarked? Whatever the legal term is. And I kept saying, I'm not a lawyer. But clearly, if I don't know the difference yeah, between the patent lawyer, and copyright and trademark, I don't know. If the lawyers are the ones asking you this, then yeah. they, well, they it's need a back to. and forth. <laughs> they they just wanted to make sure that the design was different enough. And it's like, if it's a NASA design, you can use it. But if it's a NASA contractor design, can you? And, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So we changed things around a little bit. You know, the, the rocket, they're worried. Does the rocket look too much like a Blue Origin rocket or, or more specifically, a SpaceX rocket? Because the character in the show is a, you know, a lone, rich, sort of rock star billionaire. Mm. And that might sound familiar to some people. Um, and so it's, it's like, I, I, at one point I said, yeah, don't use that color for the logo because that color looks like a company's color. Yeah. Um, so it's like, that's the kind of stuff to worry about, which is totally fascinating to me. It's like there's somebody who's like sitting around in an office going, oh my God, this rocket, can we can we change it to a to a cube? No. You know, no, rockets, that's the Borg. Uh, yeah, yeah, Borg, right, yeah. Borg have cube nailed. And they don't have, but they don't have any copyright issues because honestly, uh, everything is owned by the Borg. But it was just interesting to, to have to deal with that sort of thing and, and think so 
uh, you know, coming out from left field. Hmm. Uh, it was really interesting to me. So since we're talking about science and, and multimedia and entertainment, what are your thoughts on Discovery and how Discovery might treat? I have no thoughts about Discovery. <laughs> Fair um, enough. Ask me after I've seen it. Right. Uh, I'm a rare geek where it's like, you know, the first trailer had me worried, the second one had me happier, but I don't, but I'm not going to let either one do anything for me. It's like, oh, except get me excited, right? It's like, no. I want to see the show, but I'm not going to condemn it uh, in advance of seeing it. Um, I, that makes me, makes me angry. It's like, you, you're, 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 you're nerd gassing, you're yelling at this show, and you have no idea what it's about. Uh, even if even if we're, we're getting leaks and everything, or, or, or people talking about it, that's great. Um, and then, of course, people are upset because uh, there's too much diversity on it. All of these white guys are saying, oh, there's, how come I'm not seeing any white guys on it? Because you see white guys on every show you've ever watched in your life. This is okay that we have people of color on this show. Oh, my God. And, you know, honestly, after all the belly aching on that, uh, I have this feeling that we're ultimately going to end up with a white guy sitting in the main chair anyway, after all that whining. Yeah. <laughs> At least uh, for some time. Who knows? Who knows who how knows? it will play out? Who knows? I wouldn't know why you'd say something like that, Robert. <laughs> but, but honestly, it's like, yeah, you know, uh, when, when you're in charge of something, when, when, you, when you have, I hate the word privilege, but, you know, when you're in that position for basically eternity, equality feels like oppression yeah. is the phrase people use. And it's, you know, and I totally get that. But it's like, you know what? We're good. You know, we're but, good. But then to take the idea of also what's happening, what may happen in Discovery, as far as the science of this and how they're going to be approaching, you know, realism. Right. You can't tell any of that from a trailer. Uh, yeah. You know, look at, go look at the trailers for Battlestar and, and then compare that to what you saw when you actually saw the show. You, you can't extrapolate that from a trailer and from what marketing does. So we can only hope, I don't know, do you know who is uh, uh, science advising? Um, I don't. I've heard stories oh, okay. that they've had scientists advising, but I don't even know necessarily what kinds of scientists, right? True. Because um, you could have astronomers, you could have engineers, you could have uh, yeah. uh, uh, bio people. Uh, and so that's I, I was actually very, a long time ago approached in an early concept for a for a, what at the time was an unnamed project, but what was clearly uh, a Star Trek property, <laughs> and they were asking me about a, a planet type, mm. and uh, this was really early on in the development. And um, as soon as they were talking to me, I'm like, "Oh, this is for Star Trek, right?" <laughs> like, well, we can't say. <laughs> and I'm like, um, and unfortunately, I wasn't picked up for that. I would have loved that, uh, but you, you know, you don't know. It's Star Trek. It could be anything as far as science goes. Of course, on the other hand, I, I can think of maybe one or two people whose careers kind of got started on the very theme of building on the bad science that shows up in media over time. And yeah, but a lot of those people used to be dicks, too. <laughs> um, you can beat that out if you need to. Uh, I, you know, it, it's, I've talked about this now. I, I, yeah, I built my career basically making fun of bad science and shows. That's why my site and is called Bad Astronomy, and that's why I call myself the Bad Astronomer. Although I didn't come up with that nickname. Other people started calling me that, and I thought, that's awesome. I like it. Ah. Um, but I was, I, I mean, I was, I was nerd-gassing back then. I was mm -hmm. one complaining and being a jerk and superior about it. And then just over time, there were a couple of incidents that kind of showed me. It's like, there's no reason to be an ass about this. Mm -hmm. be, you know, they, you know they're, they're getting the word out. You know, it's, it's like, am I better than Star Trek? Come on. <laughs> Come on. 
But in defense so, of what you were doing, though, it, it you know, even if well, some of the shows a, really did suck. Well, some I mean, not Star Trek, but some of the shows I made fun of. But even so, if if someone puts something out in a movie or a TV show and people have seen it, it's, it's a common conscience. You if you can use that familiarity that people have to leverage and teach yeah, them a little science, yeah. then that's actually a way of even if it's bad science on that show, you at least turn it into a learning experience for for some of the people to then actually go past that. And then maybe that kind of mistake doesn't get made next time. Well, that was my rationalization to make myself feel better later. Well, uh, I still think like, it's reasonable. It, 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 you it don't is, have to be snarky you know, about it. They're too snarky. There's but, you know. research that shows that you shouldn't start with misconceptions because that can reinforce the misconception and that sort of thing. But it seems like that if you're watching a movie and, and you can, you know, back in nowadays, now it's been 20 years almost since Armageddon came out, but for 10 years that movie, everybody had seen it. And so if you talk about an asteroid impact, you could start with Armageddon and say, yeah. well, here's where it makes the mistake. Here's the ways it, it, you, it, it should have worked. Uh, and people knew that. It was a cultural touchstone. But even doing that, what I've learned is just don't, just don't be a jerk about it. Yeah. You know, and I still do review some things. I try not to. But I just don't, try not to be as big of a jerk about it and say, this, you know, this movie did a good job. And blah, blah. But you know what? If I could change one thing, it would be this. Now, so the panel earlier today was about exoplanets, and that's been a hot buzz topic around the news feeds quite Absolutely. a bit. Absolutely, yeah. What has been the grossest misconception? You know, I'm, you know, I'm actually I'm glad you asked that. Uh, and I, this is something I was thinking of in advance. This is just off the cuff. Sometimes the science gets overinflated. Uh, when we discovered, when, when they thought they discovered a planet around Alpha Centauri, the nearest star system to the Earth, I, I wrote a huge headline, all in caps, Alpha Centauri has a planet. Um, I'd read the paper. I thought the data looked good. Um, I was wrong. They were wrong. And that had to retract it, you know, and it wrote, eventually wrote an article that said, yeah, sorry, this is wrong. That happens. These are mistakes. These are honest scientific mistakes. What really gets me is when NASA says, stay tuned, we've got a big announcement about <laughs> planets. And then, and, and then it's like, in a week. And it's like, oh. And every time there's like a vein over my left the, eye. That the the number burn, of times burn, burn. I have to then respond to all of my friends texting me or messaging me, no, it's not, not aliens. Not aliens, yes. Yeah, because uh, I usually, I usually, one, know, two, what, I usually know what that release is going to be because we've probably worked on it. Yeah, well, yeah, you're <laughs> involved Because we do a lot of the Kepler work and yeah. we do the Spitzer work, which has done a lot of the exoplanet follow-up. Right. And so, yeah, but... The, the problem that we have, and I can speak from the other side because I also know what goes on, uh, NASA has a policy of not embargoing stories. And so for, uh, for journalists, right. an embargoed story is where you basically get the whole, the whole shebang, all of the information, the pic graphics, the text, days before the release goes live. And, and it, everyone's being trusted to have their stories written, but not to publish anything until the switch is flipped. Exactly. And often this goes along with a press conference where you then have the ability to actually ask questions when people are there. The problem is, if one person in one little website drops their story a day early, then all of a sudden everyone now can break the embargo right. because now it's no longer a secret and now it like it completely bungles your ability to get it out to everybody else who wasn't part of the embargo that's correct. and then that's playing favorites with the people who had access to the embargo they all get their stories out but none of the other journalists who weren't in that can do the story and so then you create like this fraction so they end up having to hold back and say, you know, we're not going to give it to anybody in advance. Everyone will get it at the same time, but then you still have to let people know it's coming, that we will be doing this thing. I want you all to cover it. And so what do you say? I will say this right now. What NASA needs to do is not do that. Uh, just simply, if there's news coming out, uh, if there's a press conference, give, you know, maybe you can announce there's a press conference and say, we have some interesting scientific news coming up. Don't overplay it. 
Um, there have been times when NASA has overplayed their news. I remember mm -hmm. back when Hubble launched and it was not working correctly. I don't remember if anybody even remembers that. Uh, but I was, <laughs> I was I right there. I, I was, was right there. there. 1990. I looked at those pictures yeah. of that AA. Jeff Hester is up there throwing yeah. those pictures, those fuzzy pictures. Yeah, those uh, stars don't look right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was actually going to get my PhD. I just signed on to work on Hubble literally two weeks before launch. Ah. And I was reading the manuals and everything. And then those the, the, the data came down. I was looking at it going, I can't. You know, these stars look funny, and I can't seem to fix this in software. And it turns out Hubble was out of focus. Yep. NASA was, was, you know, I'll be honest, NASA was hugely embarrassed by this, uh, raked over the coals by Congress. It's a $6 billion telescope at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and so basically everything Hubble did after that was like, Hubble's just the first black hole, just, you know, every, best ever view of this and this. And it was always overhyped. Yep. Uh, and it was a bit of a problem. And so I think there's still a little bit of a tendency to do that. It's interesting because I've actually often argued that Hubble, Hubble's become the Kleenex of astronomy. The, you know, it's the it's the brand name that represents the entire field. Oh, I see. Right? Yes. You it's don't the Kleenex. You, it's the, the Kleenex, band aid. Right. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you don't get a tissue. You get a Kleenex. Yeah. Uh, regardless <laughs> who makes it, and for astronomy, that's what Hubble is. It doesn't matter which telescope Love did it. it. It's a Hubble observation. Yeah, right. And it's something that we actually have to struggle with sometimes to make sure that you know that the fact that there are a lot of telescopes out there that everyone gets their due. That's exactly right. But so, so it's with these these press releases, right? Yeah. I don't I don't have a solution. You can't just say no. we're going to have a big press conference a week from now. But you can't say you absolutely can't say we have big exoplanet news coming up, because even if the public doesn't freak out about aliens, my first thought is, well, you found another Earth. But then it turns out, you know, no, we found the Trappist system with seven Earth-sized Earth planets. planets orbiting another star or something, which is awesome science. This is a really cool story. But inevitably, the public's going to be let down by this. Okay, so, okay, so how about this? That's the stuff that gets me. Right. How about this? We yeah. say, there's a really big exoplanet announcement coming up, but, but it's, it's not, not aliens. It's not, it's not aliens. aliens. <laughs> we didn't find another Earth. But then what's going to happen like is if they have like five things they're going to say, right? Yeah. Then, it's not a planet around Alpha Centauri. It's not aliens. It's not an Earth-like planet. And then, and they do this, three, say, three or four times. And then the, the fifth time, they say, it's not an Earth-sized planet. It's not the nearest star. And you're like, wait, which one? They, they left off aliens. They didn't say it wasn't aliens. It's aliens. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, well, Phil, I'll tell you, I'll make sure your suggestions get forwarded to the NASA press yes, office. Please tell, you know, Mr. or, you know, Ms. NASA, whoever runs NASA. <laughs> and, um, you know, but what do you, like I said, what are you going to do? And uh, I hate the embargo system. It's a nightmare. You have to trust not just every website, but every website all over the world. Yep. And you don't know what some, you know, some country, well, their, news, their news may not have the same system that ours does and they'll they'll just break the embargo. I'll tell you with the even with the Trappist system we actually had a little problem where one very large site, I won't mention which, one of their many affiliate like they had a lot of localized languages and on one of those sites the story went up early. It wasn't and me, was it? No, it wasn't you. Okay. It wasn't you. I write in English, so I guess and it wasn't so, me. And right. so yeah, so there was a little bit of scramble like, oh my god, do we have to drop everything now? Yeah. So, you know, it all got corrected. But yeah, it's it's very big, and when you have that many people covering it, the, the mechanism of embargo becomes very, very, yeah, very dicey. That's a dicey. whole other podcast. And there have been many. I have I, we've been involved with press releases that have been canceled because embargo got broken, and then everything. The whole press conference got you know everyone was yeah. flying in. They, they yeah. the whole thing got dropped because something broke early. So it's aggravating. Yay! Well, <laughs> that was what a lovely upbeat note there. <laughs> right, and hey, well, Star Trek's awesome. Right? Yeah, Star Trek's awesome. <laughs> Star Trek's awesome, and I we really saw a little bit of how the sausage is made when right. it comes to science reporting. 
So let's remind our listeners again where they can find you. What what what's your what are your current projects uh, that you're working Google on? My name. Yeah, um, bad astronomer. That's you it. can find me bad astronomer on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. Actually, if you go to about.me/philplate, it links to Instagram, Tumblr, all that social media nonsense the kids are into these days. But I feel like I'm forced to do. Actually, no, I love <laughs> I love uh, Twitter and everything like that. And uh, Salvation on CBS. Uh, uh, Bill Nye saves the world. I was the head writer, head science writer for the first season of that. Oh, great! Uh, and you know, sci-fi.com. You can follow. You do what more or less daily posts, I guess. Right. Too. I write every weekday on sci-fi.com. So great way, uh, great way to stay abreast of all right the good there. astronomy news coming out of the and, world. And, and I'm, I'm really digging what sci-fi is doing now with uh, their genre coverage. It's, it's, it's pretty cool to be a part of this team. Well, again, thank you so very much for joining us. Thank Dr. You. Hurt, thank you for this astrometrics report here from hot Las Vegas. You know something? I, I, I was almost late to this interview, honestly, because I, I stopped for a photo op. There was a Tholian standing in the hallway really? Where? out of an Get encounter of suit because Las Vegas, why would <laughs> right. a Tholian need their exosuit in Las Vegas? Naturally. Yeah, this is not an M-class planet here. No. Oh, my god. Not gosh. at all. Not at all. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. And today we are opening those hailing frequencies right here in Star Trek Las Vegas. And we actually have some listeners here with us that are just going to, we're going to talk about some con stuff. So uh, well, let's, let's go around the circle and say hi. Uh, Matt. Hello. Hello. Uh, Henry. Hello. Hello. And David. Hello. Hello. Uh, so let's, um, I want to start with you, David, actually, because... Uh, we talked about you on the show a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you had written into us, not sure whether you wanted to come or not, uh, and then you decided to come. Uh, do you like it so far? Uh, I've had ups and downs, honestly, during the week. There, there have been ups with you know the meeting you guys, uh, going to the various panels, mm-hmm. the big TNG celebration, all the discovery news. Some of the downsides, I guess, uh, is just for Saturday, extremely crowded. Yes. Which is good because everybody's very enthusiastic mm-hmm. about it. Yeah, it was extremely busy yesterday, and especially because you were here all five days. Yes. Here. Yeah, and I mean I can attest to that. Uh, the beginning of the week was actually pretty quiet, and it was a little bit like, "Where is everybody?" But yesterday, Saturday, was a little busy, hard to get anywhere. Yeah. Right. So Henry, what about you? How have you have you enjoyed your time here so far? I love it. I try to come. First of all, Henry isn't just a listener. He is our very talented graphic artist who put together this phenomenal banner that we've had behind us all week long that has been a conversation piece because we used the Odyssey class. So way to go, Henry. And I'm glad that you joined us this year again. Thanks a lot. You can go ahead and answer her question. It's been great. It's great every year. It's great coming up here and hanging out with Priority One. Um, It's great hanging out after the con. That's probably my favorite part, hanging out after the convention, meeting everybody that listens to us and loves Star Trek as much as we do, Mm -hmm. um, it's a blast. I'll probably be here next year. Okay. And Matt, what about you? It's it's been a lot of fun. It really it's just been really great getting to meet people in the community. Yeah. Uh, This is my second con, and last year it was just me and Eric doing things all day together. And this year I was actually able to meet you guys and some more people in the community, and it was very enjoyable. You know, I know that I've said this to you. I've said this to you guys throughout the week. Um, that for me, probably the best part of the convention is getting to meet you guys, right, and getting to talk to you and get to know you beyond the 
the uh, the occasional email back and mm-hmm. forth. You know, I mean, we had a great conversation about microbrews and beers, and yep. that's phenomenal. And I'm gonna go down to Virginia and I'm gonna try your beers. Please uh, do. You know, David, getting to know you as well and your input uh, for everything that you've offered for the show and your views on it. I I can't tell you enough how grateful I am for opportunities like this. Hey, look who just showed up, Chris Trone. What's up, Chris? How's it going? Doing very well. So um, we're doing feedback right now. And one of the questions that we just asked was, how did you like the convention? Um, it's been a lot of fun. It's, uh, this is my fourth one. And so it's been interesting to take it from a different perspective, hearing more of the, the actors and the stories and, and, and the families and, and their path to coming to be where they were and seeing the actors and not just the characters. It's been a different experience for me this time. So I see you're wearing uh, proudly your Priority One t-shirt. You're my morning commute. Yes, that's what I love to hear. That's what I love to hear. Okay, so one of the big, big things from this con was the presence of Star Trek Discovery. We had some of the writers here. We had some of the cast. We had uh, some of the extended universe writers, the comics and the novels. uh, And we also had some of the uh, artists. Did you guys get to go to the Discovery panels? And what's, what's one thing that, that really stuck out for you if you did, or, or one thing that you've heard if you didn't manage to go? Uh, my favorite thing, probably, if I can jump in, is uh, uh, things Wilson Cruz said. I really enjoyed his panel where they're talking to the Klingons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but listening to him specifically, of all the new actors, he comes off to me as someone who has a real affection for Star Trek, and I can't wait to see what he brings to the family. It's going to be really, really cool. I actually didn't make any of the panels. Uh, I wanted to, but other things came up. Yeah. Uh, but what I've been hearing is a lot of excitement from everyone, and it's made me excited for the uh, show coming out next month. Did you see the exhibit? I did. Uh, I mean, it's just the captain's chair was amazing. All the uh, props that they had up just made me really excited to see it. I think it's going to look great. Yeah, I was able to make it to all of them, including the um, how they're going to tie it in or they're going to start doing the comics for mm-hmm. Discovery. Um, maybe it's the convention fever, but I'm far more excited for Discovery now than I was before. Yeah, so what, what were you feeling before you came to the convention? What was your general feeling on Discovery? Uh, before I came to the convention, I'd say that my general feeling was cautious cautiously optimistic <laughs> yeah i you know worried about you know cbs all access wondering what how they're going to be changing things mm-hmm. and such uh but after seeing the panels hearing the uh actors talk the uh, writers producers i get the feeling that this is probably going to be a extremely good uh star trek series that yeah. if they're, they're going to be so detailed and they're going to go into so much depth into uh, not just Federation stuff, but into the Klingons. It seems yeah. so much more than we even had really before. And that, I think, is going to be exciting to see. I share that same view. I was kind of cautiously optimistic about Discovery, but I love all Star Trek, even what they consider bad Star Trek. I love it all, the new movies. I'll, I watch Threshold again. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm into it. So no matter what they come out with, I'm one of the guys that's probably going to eat it up a little bit yeah. and enjoy it, even if it's not... Uh, the core of Star Trek that I really love uh, because I like to support the IP and I'm going to really, you know, I'm going to watch it and enjoy it, I'm sure. But now I'm excited for it. And I wasn't before I got here. But hearing everybody talk and seeing the stuff here and hearing the writers talk about, um, you know, trying to make sure that they're staying true to canon 
and say, coming right out and saying this is prime timeline. Very exciting statements from them. So I'm I'm all aboard now. Okay, so uh, so now let's uh, let's talk about the con itself. Um, if you had to come away with one thing that you thought was the coolest of the whole week. So it could be, maybe it's a vendor. I don't know. Maybe it's one thing that happened that you saw or, or a panel or whatever. What would that one thing be? Well, they think, I, I know, I can tell you right off the top, uh, the best part probably is last year we were here. It was our first time at the Vegas Con for a long time. You know, I, I came the previous year for about a day. Last year we spent a week and I met some really great people. Coming back this year, the best part of it is meeting all of them again, remembering yep. all them again, and having them remember me. Um, you know, getting together with them. I'm going to take that with me. That was the best part of the con. Really, I, I agree with Henry. Uh, but also, what I really liked was walking around the vendor room and actually interacting with uh, the, the actors mm -hmm. and the, everyone in the vendor room. It was the conversations were remarkable. I mean, just getting to know a little backstory about everyone and. Being able to sit there and actually have a conversation and not just listen to them on stage. Yeah. I think for me, the biggest takeaway is the whole reason I probably, or one of the biggest reasons I came here was yeah. the third anniversary of TNG. Yeah. It's my, you know, my favorite series. And even though Jonathan Frakes was unable to attend at the last minute, we still got the majority of the cast up there, getting to see them all interact. You hear some stories I haven't had before. And so that was that was the biggest thing for me. Yeah. I know my favorite moment. My favorite moment was when I told Iris Stephen Bear that Elijah didn't like Deep Space Nine. That, <laughs> that, that really just, that's, that's the one that I'm going to take away and love forever. Well, you heard it, Captains, earlier when Kenneth threw me under the bus. And oh, I love my co-host so much. <laughs> All right, any parting words? If you didn't get a chance to come this year, make a way to come next year it's worth the trip it's worth every bit of it the party doesn't end when the con ends it's the whole week is around the clock star trek get out here if you can that's all i have to say yeah uh, i was on the fence about coming back next year uh and after meeting elijah and kenna i i'm definitely coming back next year and you guys should too thanks man i appreciate that I definitely enjoyed getting to meet you guys and you know i'm, I'm a proud patreon supporter Awesome. Well, again, a big, massive thank you to David, to Matt, our graphic artist, Rami Linnale, for joining us on Feedback this week, live from Star Trek Las Vegas. Captains, don't worry. We know that you submitted your answers for our community question last week. We'll get to those on the next regular episode of Priority One Podcast. Well, Captains, that wraps up episode 329 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast brought to you straight from Creation's Star Trek Las Vegas convention, thanks to Eagle Moss. For more great podcasts like Mission Log and Women at Warp, go to podcasts.roddenberry.com. They'll be bringing you some convention-exclusive coverage as well. So, if you can't get enough of the con, podcasts.roddenberry.com is the place to start. And before we close out the show, we can't forget to send a special thanks to our Patreon supporters, Navy Boats Lou, David S., Lee Malian and Admiral. Captains, you know we love hearing from you. So leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or shoot us a tweet 
at Priority One Pod. Don't miss a thing from the world of Star Trek. Catch our episodes every Monday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. And if that wasn't enough, you can join us in Star Trek Online in the Priority One Armada. If you're interested, just head over to PriorityOneArmada.com and sign up today. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. We want to thank you for your ongoing support of Priority One Podcast because it is through your support that we can attend conventions like Star Trek Las Vegas. Even if you can't make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies to listen. It's that type of signal boost that keeps us going. We also want to give an extra special thank you to Eagle Moss for supporting us at STLV this year. Now, it was with their help that we were able to bring you all of the fantastic convention-exclusive coverage. So please, go and check out their stuff at shop.eaglemoss.com. That's shop.eaglemoss.com. And once again, we do thank Eagle Moss for all of their support. Don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions' God Frequency Podcast at godfrequency.com. Covering the world of space sims, including Star Citizen, Elite Dangerous, Descent Underground, and many more. If you like this show, then listening to God Frequency is the logical choice. Well, Captains, this year we had a very small team at STLV, but that does not mean that the crew at home didn't help us each and every day. So we want to send a big hug to everyone at Priority One all over the world. Uh, We miss them intensely, and hopefully we'll get to celebrate Star Trek again with them very, very soon. Thanks to our audio team, led by Michael McDonald, who is a superstar, with assistance from Brandon Parker and Jake Morgan, who are also superstars, and with support from Midnight Shadow 7 of Holosuite Media, who, you guessed it, is also a superstar. Speaking of superstars like Jake Morgan, a big thanks to him for spreading the word of Priority One on all our social media endeavors, in addition to supporting us this week during Star Trek Las Vegas. Thanks to our graphic artist and web designer, Henry Pomper, who joined us out of pocket at STLV and supported us when we needed it most. Not to mention the beautiful banner that he created for us and stood in pride of place right behind our table all week. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Thanks to Patreon associate producer, Navy Boatslew. And most importantly, a big thanks to you the Star Trek community, and our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none none of this this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. Engage. Transfer complete.